Welcome to the Full Spectrum Warrior Podcast. I'm James. I'm here with Rich. What's up, guys? Today's podcast is brought to you by Phalanx Defense Systems. They make great um, Kydex products along with body armor and other survival equipment. One of the products they have that I personally use all the time that I love is a universal Kydex holster. This holster fits over 150 different pistol models, and uh, it's great to have on your belt for just you know, if you're changing out pistols or I use it when I travel around the country and overseas and I don't know which firearm I'm going to be utilizing when I get there. And uh, yeah, man, it's a really cool product. Check it out. Phalanx Defense Systems. Today, we're, we're going to have a guy named Riv on the podcast, a fellow Navy SEAL of Riches. You guys are going to love it. It's awesome. Check it out. Riv, what's up, man? What's going on? Good guys, to have you. Thanks. We're uh, rocking out with our buddy here, Riv, over here. Rich, how do you know Riv? Where do you where do, where do you guys know each other from? Uh, how did we meet? Yeah, that's an interesting story. So when I was uh, transitioning out of the SEAL teams back in 2017, I went through a transition program called the Honor Foundation. That's right. And what the Honor Foundation does is it brings special operators together in the community. Uh, and I was stationed in San Diego. I was moving over here to Orlando, and uh, I didn't know anybody here. I didn't have any professional network. I just had a job, and I was like, "Man, I don't want to fucking." Uh, can I swear? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. you already yeah. did it. So uh, yeah. here we go. This one has profanity. Yeah, people. yeah, fuck it. So uh, I was, um, you know, I wanted to get into that team guy network again because it's it's really familiar and it's comfortable, and you can be open and honest with you know team guys, right? Um, so in uh, like I said in. I think July of 2016, I moved here to Orlando and through the Honor Foundation's founder, Joe Musselman, which he did an incredible job putting a program together to help active duty team guys get out of the military and transition into corporate America. Um, He introduced me to one of the initial donors of the Honor Foundation, which we both know, and that guy introduced us. And from that, we just started building a large uh, team guy network here in, in Orlando, in the central That's Florida right. area. Yeah, it's all coming yeah. back to me now. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then we had like, I met you and your dogs were in uh, in training and we went to that uh, restaurant and it was it was really cool. I met your your dogs and I was like, man, this guy's crazy as <laughs> shit walking around with dogs. It's always the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was now four years ago, uh, coming up, well, yeah, four years ago straight up and uh it's been awesome. I've been out here more than a handful of times, shooting on the range, training. Uh, it's it's really good. As, any veteran who's listened to this, if you can get on the gun as frequently as possible, you'll reignite that fire in you, and it oh, yeah. really ties you back to a lot of familiarity that you are missing. So, unfortunately, we don't have the time to do that often, or we use excuses to stay away from that type of stuff. But the minute you get back on the gun, you feel that that fire again. And it's, it's really nice. So I can't thank you enough, Rich, for letting me come out here and train. And in doing that, what we've been able to do is, uh, we started a separate company where we help out nonprofits raise money, um, where we donate our time and we take donors out here to the range and we take them through some tactical shooting scenarios. And it's, it's a whole lot of fun. Donors get to get on the gun, hear some more stories, and uh, it gives them an even greater reason to give in these uh, charity events. So I'm actually going to one in uh, tomorrow at uh, Champions Gate, which is a golf event. Um, 
it last uh, last year, I think they raised a few hundred thousand dollars for our organizations like South Special Operations Warrior Foundation, mm-hmm. which they do incredible work. If you don't, if you're not familiar with them, please look into them. They always need uh, help. Uh, I'll give a, a brief summary. So South, what they do is any um, special operator that passes away during combat, mm. their children get to go to school for free. Yeah. And that's from grade school all the way through their doctorate if they want oh, wow. to. Any yeah. school that they want to go to, it's free and paid for. And uh, that charity is probably one of the most uh, generous out there. And all the people who work for that uh, foundation, I believe, except two or three, don't make any salaries. So this is a genuine uh, giving nature um, uh, nonprofit. The first charity event we did when I got out of the military was actually for them. Well, we did the cross country bicycle ride. We rode from San Diego to Virginia Beach. It was over three thousand miles. And uh, how long did that take? Uh, sixty three days. Long enough. <laughs> yeah, sixty three days. We had eleven days off that were rest days slash fundraising days. So when we went Everybody through, thought like, that Rich's brother died on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's when I got introduced to sleep apnea. Yeah. 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 Sleep apnea. Dude, it was this one night and we're sleeping like, do it like, uh, we came into, uh, I think it was Amarillo, Texas, or it was, it might've been earlier than that, but we didn't have a, a place to stay. There wasn't a hotel and we were eating dinner at this diner and there was a dude there who heard what we were doing and heard about the bike ride you know, and um, just basically overheard us and saw us in like cycling clothing in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, what the hell are you guys doing? You know, <laughs> and he saw the truck with all the banners on it. We had like decals and stuff. The truck was essentially wrapped and um, he, he was asking about it. He's like, oh man, where you guys stay tonight? Like, oh, we haven't figured that out yet. Probably just going to camp out on the side of the road. And he's like, no, nah. he's like, I I don't have like a, like a hotel or something like that, but I got a, I got a storage uh, been our storage. Sounds like the beginning of a rape. Story, oh yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> super exciting. Yeah. We were <laughs> like, hey man, let's roll the dice. We'll see how this night goes. This could yeah. be crazy. Like, you know. So he has one of those um, storage rental places, and he opens up because there was a storm coming in. So he opens up one of the garages, and we're sleeping in like a ten by fifteen, like those storage container places. Right? Yeah. And we're just sleeping on the concrete slab, but at least it wasn't in the rain. And um, the two dudes I was riding with, uh, James and Sean, they start like prodding me in the middle of the night. And they're like, what? You know, and they're like, dude, I think your brother's dead, man. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean my brother's dead? They're like, dude, he hasn't, he stopped breathing. Like he was having a hard time breathing and he, he hasn't, he, he hasn't made a breath for like over a minute. And we're all standing around him, looking at him. I'm like poking him. Like, dude, Tony. Dude, Tony. I'm like poking him and giving him a little shake. And then he just goes like. The exorcist, man. The producer's like dying. I'm like blasting his ears out. And then like he would take like three or four breaths. And then he would just stop. Oh and we're just all sitting there staring at him like, is he choking? Like, what do we do? We like, try to roll him on his side and like, we're like tapping his back. Like, dude, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. Choke on your own vomit. Yeah. Well, it turns out he has sleep apnea. That's what's yeah. going on. And he didn't even know it or, or is that like the first intro introduction to it? 
Like, oh, people have been telling him, like, hey, dude, you should probably get on one of those machines. <laughs> yeah, the and he's CPAP just like, machines. No, 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 no. Yeah. no I'll just, I'll just I'll I'll hang myself from the rafters yeah. Yeah. upside down by my feet. It'll fix everything. Yeah. So, like, we kind of got introduced to that that night. And uh, it, I guess maybe it was just extra loud being in that metal box. Oh, yeah. So, it like, echoed. Like, it everywhere. really just, you know, it literally sounded like he was dying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Um, but anyway, so anyway, so that was for charity. Yeah. So we did that <laughs> yeah, ride, yeah. but that's who we did it for was for that organization. For great, great people there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, since then what I've been able to do is, uh, what, what my next big kind of project that I'm working on, uh, nonprofit related is, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are over 50,000 nonprofits that specifically, uh, are for the veteran community. Hmm. Nobody, it's not organized, yeah, right? Yeah, so no I'm going to try to organize it so that way you can put in, uh, you know, your your years of service. You can put in your your um, branch of service, um, and ge- uh, gender, age, um, uh, where you deployed to, and your disability status, and if you have kids, because all of those are really key indicators for filtering down yeah. to figure out which nonprofits are the right one for you. Yes. So That's out of that cool. fifty thousand. Maybe only 200 are relative to you, but it's really important that you know those 200 so that way you can start building those relationships yeah. and see either how you can give back to that nonprofit or how you can uh, use them to get you out of financial issues or whatever the, the problem is. There's one that I found out about. This is like uh, uh, two years ago, and they pay your gym membership. Really? Yeah. They pay your gym membership forever as long as they have the money. So they're having problems now raising money raising funds especially with covid but uh they have about a year wait but you know you only find out about these through the you know the network that you have like oh i found out about this one i found out about this one last year my wife and i went on a bunch of retreats and um it was kind of important for us to get after that because prior to that point i'm i'm a bit of a workaholic so I, get I think lost. I can relate to you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, no I will neglect my uh, personal life to make sure that my professional life is sound and has a, a decent future. Uh, not intentionally. It's just to me, I have to prioritize one over the other. And again, it's not intentional. So uh, I just left Amazon right after transitioning out of uh, active duty service. I worked at a startup company where I was the head of HR uh, I did that for about a year and I'll, I'll tell that story in a little bit, but then I transitioned uh, a year after that to Amazon where I worked for them for two years and I was traveling 80% of Monday through Fridays. Mm. And so I was gone, right? I was just gone all the time. I, my relationship with my kids was definitely being affected. I have a 10 and 11 year old, a boy and a girl. And, uh, my relationship with my wife was, was, it was tough, right? We hadn't been able to spend that quality time together because I had to, um, I had to work, right? I had to provide for the family. Um, and I left that job and started a, a different business. And uh, since then, it's been incredible. Like I've been able to work from home, um, provide a whole lot of resources to the veteran community and uh, spend that time with my wife. But last year, we went on like six incredible retreats, just she and I, uh, and then one with uh, my kids. And the one with my kids, like I suffer from PTS and, um, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll talk about that later as well, but 
that one was really good for my kids because then they got to understand, hey, here's why daddy's different. And here's why he maybe reacts differently to, to different scenarios. Here's why he's always aware of different things uh, that normal daddies aren't, right? And it, it got their eyes opened, especially at like a, a key age at the time. They were 9 and 10. Um, but the only way I found out about that nonprofit was, again, through that word of mouth, right? There needs to be a resource out there, like a filtering, a clean filtering for all of us so that we, you know, hey, if you need a relaxing vacation, go to this, right? If you need a new roof on your house, go to this place. If you need a kid's scholarship, right, to go to a private school because the school in your uh, system or in your neighborhood is terrible, go to this nonprofit. There's things out there for everything. Gym membership, um, uh, grants for financial need, everything that you can possibly think of, there is a nonprofit out there for for you uh, as in the veteran community. On a side note, it's really interesting when you hear that <clears throat> because the, these nonprofits are funded by individual donations, mm-hmm. right? And we constantly are getting bombarded with different, not to go too political, but like you're constantly being bombarded with the government needs to intervene and do this and do that. And it's like, if you just taxed us less and let us run our own lives, then people who feel um called or whatever inspired by a certain aspect of any of those like someone got excited to let people go to the gym right you know what i mean mm-hmm. and they put in that work and energy and fundraise to have people make donations to and support you going to the gym energy too if you've ever tried to start yeah i mean profit, we put a like ton of easy. work and energy into <laughs> homefront canine and our canine our canine charity right doing our service dogs but like you have all these different nonprofits and right now you're talking about the veteran community. I guarantee there's the same thing going on in the animal, you know, shelter, you know, the, the animal rights community, like all the, like we don't need the, my point with this is we don't need the government to come in and handle all this stuff The you know, feeding the homeless, you know, uh, right. medicine for people, you know, who can't unless afford you want it, it done wrong. Well, unless you want it yeah. done wrong, yeah. but like <laughs> all this stuff, if you took the government out and just let people have more money, there's a lot of people who want to do good things for others and you know you can then make the decision on what thing inspires you and you could donate your own money or time to what inspires you instead of having the government come in and tell you what's important for you and them spending your money where they feel fit which is a lot of time corrupted you know what i mean yeah so it's interesting just to hear how many charities there are and how much productive how much more productive this would be if we freed up people's incomes to be able to do that Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, right now, I'm sure, I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine that a great deal of giving is done with the top earners of the United States, right? Because they have the opportunity to do that. And also there's a tax advantage with our government that they say, hey, if you want a tax deduction, give to charity, right? So that's an awesome benefit that our government does. But um, that's really only tailored to very wealthy people. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're what about for everybody else? Getting by, then yeah. obviously you're not. You're probably not donating a lot, or you're still trying to get or, by. Yeah, you're still yeah. trying to make it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you may volunteer your time yeah. or whatever you can to give back in whatever way. But when money's thin, you got to stretch it. Yeah, yeah you got to yeah. stretch it as thin as possible, especially with kids and you know a wife or or you know a significant other. Sometimes you know you have people that are taking care of their families. You know. Their parents. It'd be interesting to see like how they do the tax write-offs for the financial donations about something where you could get like a credit 
for volunteering time. Yeah. And have like awesome. a credit towards something. I don't know what, how that yeah, would work. Credit for the requirement to buy masks and gloves. Yeah. So, I mean, like, dude, you should just get a credit for, you know, sharing that beautiful face with the town every time you go out. <laughs> You're like, hey, dude, where's my credits? I'm here. I want my just credits. Flaunting. I want my $2. So anyway, sorry, totally got you off track. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, so what I'm focusing on next is providing more opportunities for the veteran community, right? Um, the next big passion project that I've uh, I just in, uh, started this week was uh, a, we, I partnered together with four other special operators and uh, it's going to sound a little controversial but it's it works right and I, I can only tell you from my personal experience um, and it's healing your mind through the use of psychedelic medicines but it's not just going out and you know getting high it's really it's the furthest thing from that that you could possibly imagine it's you are using these medicines to facilitate decades worth of therapy that you're not doing right because like when you go to the VA right now if you have to go talk to a mental health person um, they will only give you eight appointments the first two you're really kind of trying to build that trust together like hey what can I really tell you without you looking at me funny or what's gonna happen if I really do overshare or tell you what's really going on in my head so you waste those first two appointments now you're at the sixth appointment and the relationship is built and the doctors like hey we only got two more of these right so chop chop yeah. and they're, they're 30 minute appointments mm -hmm. so think about how long that's going to take to really um, just get to the root cause of your um, mental health condition right or your mental state because we all go through highs and lows throughout our life right high stress makes a, a, a low come next so uh, what we're doing is we're going to use uh, a whole life approach to coaching we're going to give the veterans an opportunity to share their finances with us They give the veterans an opportunity to share um, their personal and professional lives how they interact with each other their coworkers, their spouses their children and really build a solid foundation so that once that foundation is built we can then build a nice house for the future right all this stuff is super important because i remember that was one of the things and we spoke about this on previous podcasts it was like I got into the seals thinking that I was going to be surrounded by a bunch of people who are going to be great role models and leaders in my life. And they were in one ass and like a few aspects of the big picture, right? Like I had good role models on teaching me how to be warrior, like the warrior lifestyle mindset. Sure. Right. But what we didn't have was a lot of good role models as far as, you know, finances and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah. I mean, how many times did you see somebody get a bonus check and then they blow it on a truck? Exactly. That was yeah. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Is, you know, they were, they were $10,000. <laughs> well, it wasn't a truck. Yeah. No, yeah, but that was cash. Yeah. Right. I had, all right. So I'll tell you what James is talking about here in a second. But like, you know, you'd see someone who was $10,000 in debt. They'd get a $40,000 sign on reenlistment bonus for reenlisting for four years. And then they'd trade that truck in, buy a truck that was worth, you know, twenty to $30,000 more, but they're like, oh, but I, you know, I can pay for it where I just got a raise. Right. So they changed out and it was like, dude, the truck that you now have is more expensive than the one you just had. So you're actually, although you got a $40,000 bonus and a pay grade raise, you're in more debt now than you were before 
you got that raise. Like, and if you think about it from an investment perspective, you just invested that money into a depreciating asset. Yeah. It's never going to be worth the same amount that you put into it, right? Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do is trying to create these good spending habits yeah. that'll transition into good savings habits, right? So uh, the bad one that James is talking about yeah. was I had done two deployments and I had all this money because I don't drink, I don't uh, do drugs, and I wasn't buying prostitutes. Were you ever actually in the military? Yeah. I know. I know. It's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. So what happened is I have all this money just stored up. And here I am, you know, uh, with like literally like $70,000 in my checking account because I'm not, I haven't been spending it. Man. Right. I've just been sitting on it. And like my banker was like, dude, you got $70,000 in your checking account. Like you should really do something with this. There's a lot better places to have your money sitting than in the checking account. And I'm like, that's a valid point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then I'm like, I go to talk to my parents. I'm like, Hey, I think I'm going to buy like a rental property. Uh, and that way I can make this money work for me. And they're like, Hey, look, I get what you're saying. You're on deployment and you're traveling way too much right now. The housing market, this is right before the housing crash, the yeah. bubble popped and they knew it cause they've been in real estate. Oh, nice. And they're like, all of this is fake. This whole thing is going to burst and the housing market is going to crash. Right now is not the time to buy a house. And with how much you're traveling, like you kind of want to be a little bit more steady and consistent or have someone who can watch your stuff uh, when you're going on deployment. Like it's just not the right time right this moment. I'm like, okay, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> so then I go up to Connecticut and I buy a $55,000 sports car. I bought a Lotus Elise. Oh my God. To take to the racetrack. <laughs> And I just come up there and I just bought it in cash. I wrote them a check and they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm in the military. They're like, yeah, we're going to do like a background check on this. Like, can you just wait here till this check clears, you know? Yeah. And then I show back up to my to the house with this sports car. My parents are like, where the hell did that come from? I'm like, oh, dude, I just bought it. They're like, what do you mean you just bought that? Oh, yeah, I just bought it cash. They're like, what? Like, you told me now wasn't the time. Yeah. You told me now wasn't the time for... Real estate investments, so like that doesn't mean go buy a sports yeah. car, idiot. They were probably you know? like, no, get a Roth IRA or do something <laughs> yeah. long-term investment. Oh, man. That one. But, but you don't know that, what those things are, but right? But that car was fun. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. For how many years? For a couple years. Yeah. And then when I got out of the military and my blood clot thing happened, I moved back home and I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do. Every time I walked out of the house, I'd sit there and I'm like, there's $45,000 sitting there. There's a $45,000 check. No, I can't sell my sports car. Yeah. <laughs> a couple months later, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. All right. All right. And I sold it and got a, like a normal car and then had money to like get a place. Yeah. Boring stuff. Be a normal you know? person. Yeah. 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 But yeah, there's like, so as far as the role models go, you know, and then when you're looking at relationships, 80% yeah. of the dudes in the in the in the military or in the SEAL community at least were getting divorced yeah. when One I was or there. Two times over. Yeah. yeah. Divorce so rates are horrible in the military. In in the military yeah. You know, I mean nationally right now the divorce rates are really bad. So yeah. it's not just a veteran issue. It's like people in general need to know how to manage finances, yeah. how to and that's manage the number relationships. One for also yeah. is, is financial problems is exactly. the number one reason for divorce. Yeah. yeah. It's what starts the catalyst that starts a lot of the issues that they have. Yeah, yeah. either like the husband has a different uh, priority, I want to yeah. save, or the wife wants to invest, or they're just not on the same page. Yeah. So that's another thing that we're going to try to develop is how do you communicate these um, priorities to your spouse so you can get on the same page, right? And then 
another thing is if you have children, how do you build those good spending habits and good savings habits into your next generation? Yeah. Right. Because they're not important. doing that now. Nobody's I mean, doing it. Yeah. The fact that kids go to college, like it blows my mind that we put such like emphasis on, oh, American school systems and not to hammer you if you're listening and you're a teacher, but I'm just saying if you're going to college and you've learned all this dumb crap with trigonometry and geometry and yeah. all this other not that's not, not that's dumb but if you have gone through all these classes on science stuff but you're going into college right and you haven't done a class on how a loan works right and what or how to write a check yeah how to write a check but like that's kind of people don't really have checkbooks anymore but like but yeah like not understanding what you know true interest is because people like oh yeah i'm gonna go to college it cost uh 200 grand but it's only three percent interest and it's like so they think okay so two hundred thousand so okay so it'll be three percent on one hundred thousand Okay, and then you, they don't you understand know, the compounding. Yeah. They don't realize that there's compounding right. interest. They think they're paying like, you know, one hundred and three thousand dollars exactly. Yeah, that's three versus, percent versus, uh, like no, no, no. It's three percent per payment, mm-hmm. and you pay the principal first. So until you pay off that principal, you're not even until you've paid off like seventy percent of your of your. Uh, loan or whatever, like you're really not even making a dent into the principal. Right. You know what I mean? And, but like I've had this conversation with people uh, who are in college and they have no idea. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're mad at the big corporations and you're mad at the, at the government. You're mad at all these people. Like, why are you mad at the school that you think so highly of that hasn't taught you how this works? Right. But again, but really the families, the parents should be teaching them how this works if the school's not. Yeah. But you know, the, the, and that's a whole nother talk of why that is, but like, for sure. Yeah. So like my nephew is going to college right now. He just started his first semester of his freshman year and, um, he got a lot of academic scholarships, right? So essentially he's going to graduate with no student debt, hopefully, right? As long as he gets good grades throughout the four years. Yeah. (laughs) However, I'm trying to drill into him just because you have school paid for doesn't mean you stop applying for scholarships yeah, of course, yeah. because you can actually make money going to school and that's all tax-free dollars. The school gets that money, holds it for a quarter and then writes you a check every quarter. So essentially you can go to school and have two jobs. The first job is getting good grades. The second job is applying to scholarships, right? That apply to you. So like my nephew, his mom has a disability. His mom, my sister has a multiple sclerosis. Um, you know, she's in a wheelchair. It's, it's tough. She has, she's had a very difficult life. There are a ton of scholarships out there for my nephew, right? Because he is the son of a single mother with disabilities. So I just did maybe like 10, 20 minutes of research and I found about 15, maybe anywhere from seven to 15 scholarships that directly applied to him. And I'm like, you, you need to be doing this. Do you want to go get a job and distract yourself from yeah. your schoolwork? Or do you want to devote that time in the right manner and really just research? You know, there's, it's a, it's an art to doing that. I, I had the opportunity when I got my bachelor's and my master's degree to get scholarships but school's already paid for. So I got paid to go to school as a veteran, not using my 9-11 GI Bill. 
and it was incredible, right? But I had that hunger in me all the while, you know, I was going through and I picked up Sailor of the Year that year as a, a first class petty officer and then picked up Chief. So that was an, going back to like the workaholic thing, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's easy to get lost in work because those goals are easy to set, um, but they're also the biggest distraction because none of it matters. I should be done paying my student loans about the time the dinosaurs come back. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You got yeah. something to look forward to, there. dude. I'm getting there. Yeah. Yeah, student loans are, oh, it's horrible. the biggest scam in, in, yeah, in the awful. world as, as I see it. I mean, you have a schooling system that continues to jack the uh, tuition prices up because they have guaranteed loans from the government, right? So they can say, oh, we'll just keep jacking them up, keep jacking them up, keep jacking them up. And the people who pay are the students. How long is it going to take for you? Let's just say, for instance, right, you were uh, uh, really wise with your money as a parent and you ended up saving $30,000 for your kid to go to school, right? $30,000. They can go to a state school, get a really decent education. Now, that kid decides to go to college and get a liberal arts degree. I saved $30,000 for you to go get a liberal arts degree. Not that there's anything wrong with that for those of you who has, have liberal arts degrees. <laughs> but how are you making money with a liberal arts degree? Are you going to be a teacher? Why did I save that $30,000? You need to be a, you know, a contributor to the society in a very positive way. So it's, it's, it's a strange system all around. I still don't understand it. Yeah. It's almost like one of those things for the, the, I know a lot of people who went to college and then got out and went right from going to college to being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of people who've done that. And it's almost like the same thing of going from college right into politics yeah. You know what I mean? Or maybe you don't even go to college, but you go straight into politics. And it's almost like the reality is you should go get life experience before you're in a role where you're teaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Like if, see if, if that you, career that you're going to go down is even piques your interest. Cause yeah. I don't know how many people have got their first degree in a field that they were really passionate about when, when they were 18 fucking years old. And then 25, they're like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> this was stupid. This was a terrible idea. I, I got to really go back to school. Yeah, like you, th like you think <laughs> like, I'm, like from my my perspective on it, if you're going to get a master's degree mm -hmm. in, let's say physics, you go to school, you get a, like if you want to be an architect, because that's what I was going to go to school for originally. You go to school for five years, you get an architectural degree, like a college degree isn't from for architecture. And then I was going to go work for my dad's company right? Being that we had the same name and, and family business or whatever. And I was going to work for him, but you had to do three years working. You could get paid, but basically you do a three year on the job training, working for an architect before you could take a license or take the test to get a license. Right? So the earliest you could become your own architect, right? A licensed architect, not working for an architect with a mm -hmm. degree was eight years, kind of like working in the medical field as a doctor. But it's just interesting to me that people will get master's degree before they've ever actually gone into the workforce and applied what they've learned. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that you learn in the classroom. And at this point, it's theoretical. Then you go out into the world and you, and you find out how the world works. Like, okay, well, that's how this works in a textbook in a perfect case scenario. But the world doesn't always apply everything the same way because now you have all the intricacies of logistics and politics and, you know, all this other stuff. And you learn the, the ropes of how the industry actually works 
Like you should have to do time. And then if you want to come back to school later on to go through a master's degree program, then you come back in and get a master's degree with a higher education now because you have a real life experience, right? And now you have a thing called perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what would be interesting is if they change the graduate degree program application process to what are you going to use this degree for? What's your plan? Right? Yeah. Instead of just going to school and spending the money to go to school, what are you going to spend this money to learn all these things for? Right? Oh, I'd never get a degree then because yeah. that changes every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. But you really have to think that through because graduate degrees are really expensive. Yeah. And they take two years if you're going full time, four years if you're going part time. And that's a big time commitment. That's a, a big financial commitment yeah. um, that can really change your life forever for the positive and potentially for the negative also, right? It's it's really, Yeah, really it's tough. the same boat that I'm in now because I'm about to wrap up my bachelor's degree here real soon and looking at going on to my master's and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm already horribly in debt with my student loans. Let's go a little <laughs> bit further. Why not? Yeah. What do you <laughs> want to do with your graduate degree if, if you go that path? I'm just, I'm working working towards the NBA. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Oh, I, I love mean, basketball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the uh, it's just the most rounded degree for me cuz I have no clue what I want to do with my life right. at 40 years old, so, you know, yeah. I'm still working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all are, right? Yeah, every yeah. day. So, like with an MBA, there's yeah. a lot of the, probably the most successful people that are in business. I would I guess that they don't really have MBAs, right? Yeah, so they I just know. <laughs> they just trial by fire, tested yeah. it out, started a small business. Yeah. It failed several times over. They learned from those failures and then picked everything up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the things that you learn in school really don't apply in especially today's market. Think about like the the things you'll learn in marketing, right? For uh pre-COVID as opposed to what we're in right now. Marketing has to completely change. Finances has to completely change. How are you spending money in your business? It's yeah. really, it's a completely different world. So why then like, doesn't the education system make that quick shift? It gets yeah, tough that's a good from, question. From, a, from an odd perspective. Like it, um, you talk about like starting your own business or something. And I'm the kind of person where, you know, like you always hear about like, if you're gonna start your own business, you know, you know, um, should maybe try something that you like or like there's all these different viewpoints on it right mm -hmm. and i'm just like well that's controversial yeah i, I mean there's yeah. a ton there's of some different people who say like yeah. don't do what your passion well, is because saying. then yeah. it's going to ruin your passion right other people say do something you love to do because then you're doing something that you love but it's controversial whether that's yeah. a factual there's or a ton not. of different viewpoints yeah. on it but like from my perspective i'm like well it doesn't matter either way because there's nothing I enjoy doing. Like I don't, I don't have hobbies. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. enjoy doing stuff. Like I'm, yeah. like I just, uh, yeah, I just live life. Like, dude, <laughs> you should see if you get paid to sleep. Yeah. Oh my god, dude, I'd be horrible at it. I'd never get paid. Yeah. <laughs> Turn into a job. Yeah. So going back to like what the the next project is is we're going to use all of this coaching um, to get the veteran community and the active duty community. Uh, kind of with that solid foundation of how to communicate, how to budget, how to save, how to spend. Um, and then once all that's done, then we get them ready for a legal psychedelic experience uh, through the use of this drug called ketamine. And ketamine is mm -hmm. an anesthetic, right? So it's, it's the things that uh, they put animals down. I'm sorry, not put them down with, but when they want to put them under to do a surgery, they'll give them ketamine. And, um, 
they're finding that uh, doctors, right, not just the they, but uh, psychologists and doctors are finding that veterans and people who deal with major depressive disorder or any type of mental health condition, when they go into this experience of a ketamine or it's called a K-hole, you can come out of it the other side a completely different person. Because while you're in this experience, uh, you have a very spiritual, profound um, uh, observation of who you are, what's really important in life. Is the job important? Is the car important? Is uh, Are all of these nuanced things important in your life, like the new gun that you want to buy? Are all of those things important? Or is your family important? Isn't that right? the lollipop? No, that's, um, uh, oh man, that is fentanyl. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so ketamine, <laughs> it, it, it can be done sublingually, yeah. just a few drops, and you become, uh, you, you can't move. And you get lost in your head, but... Horrible place. Every, yeah, yeah. Isn't it, right? <laughs> so imagine it's it's like trying to do decades worth of psychotherapy yeah. just in one setting. Wow. And they're finding great results with this treatment therapy, right? So they go in, go through this experience, come out the other side. They're like, I forgot what I was sad about or I forgot what I was angry about. Mm-hmm. Now, after they come out the other side, a new, hopefully different person, um, we use that coaching process to now build an even stronger foundation right yeah i think that so, coaching process is going to be huge because integration I know, right like how do you integrate? yeah because i know yeah. like we we did work with a organization called operation restored warrior and it would basically take people down the rabbit hole through a spiritual process mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and it's a christian-based organization and basically it would take them down the rabbit hole to that to that spot like what they what they found was in many cases people who had ptsd um had some type of like traumatic experience between the ages of like four and eight years old sure and from that traumatic experience walls were built and it's in you basically as a child you don't you don't understand um a lot of things. So basically you're in survival mode, like yeah. you're in learning phase and survival mode. You know what I mean? So There's all these interesting theories out there where as you go through those early hood, early childhood traumas, yeah, it stunts your uh, maturity. So it, let's say you had like a really traumatic experience when you're seven years old, essentially you're stuck at seven maturity wise, right? Very selfish, egotistical yep. uh, as a seven year old is it's just natural for that to happen. You're stuck in that mental space, that mental maturity space until you deal with that uh, situation, right? Yeah, they've said that like most of the people who are like borderline personality or cluster B personalities and all that stuff, their their maturity level doesn't get past like 15. Right. They're like stuck in, and as you see adults running around like chasing flowers and yeah. butterflies and, and living like this childhood, you know, like fantasy kind of thing and you're like dude how is this an adult like doing that and for like people who are like i, I don't want I, I guess we'll just for all intents and purposes called normal right mm-hmm. like the normal expectation of how someone in their 40s 50s 60s should be acting right it's that that maturity level has been basically capped right and that's why so many of the uh, decisions are emotional based right because emotion comes from survival mode. You have an emotional reaction to survive, right? Mm-hmm. You don't slow down and think logically. It's 
survival is all like, you know, basically emotion and you have to learn to control that emotion, right? Being through maturity, yeah. right? And make logical decisions. And, and the reality is there should be a, like an adult should have a balance between, you know, logic and emotion. And you should find that balance in the middle and be like, yeah, this is kind of scary, but here's how we can kind of deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus just like going into like a frenzy and you see these emotional highs and lows. Um, and yeah, it's, it's instead of like knee jerk reactions, you can take the time to pause, develop a plan and then react. Right. Yeah. Instead of what a child would do is just kick the knee, right? Like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just doing a knee jerk reaction. It yeah. takes a whole lot of maturity to do that. Right. You because, see it all over the country right now. Like, yeah, oh you God, see, you see grownups yeah. in their forties and fifties in these, you know, protests and it's like, okay, you're against racism and discrimination. Who isn't? Yeah, who isn't? Yeah. Like, where are these yeah. people who are, are saying, like, yeah, dude. Where are the pro-racism rallies? Where, <laughs> yeah. where are the pro... Every, it just and they're like, we have sense. to do this because yeah. we're defending ourselves. Because if we don't do this, like, we're going to be, you know, all executed. And, like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, I get it. No, I don't know anyone who supports the KKK. Like, where... Yeah. Like, I don't even know. I've never even met a KKK person. Like, where are they? People, not one of them is pro-KKK. Yeah. You know, like, where, where are all these? Like, I get it. Like, we're not. This isn't 60, 70 one. years ago. Sure. Like, you know, there was a time where that was a huge threat. It's not here anymore. Right. You know what I mean? But you see adults who are walking up and down the street, you know, um, like, uh, burning someone's store down and throw like these are college professors like yeah. throwing stuff through people's windows and setting stores on fire. You're like, okay, yeah, that really just helped race relations. It was a, you, the, the you social burning, economics professor. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? You had one of the lawyers <laughs> for the for one of the you know Democratic committees or yeah. the, or the the um. Anyway, I, I'm going to butcher it, but like there was a lawyer for in New York City working for one of these high seated people got caught throwing stuff like Molotov cocktails at the police. That like, dude, seriously, like you're a grown ass person. You're throwing Molotov cocktails at the police. Well, the New York like, mayor's the daughter police, got caught doing you're it You're throwing so. it at a police officer who didn't do what you're mad at. And you're thinking that's going to solve a problem. Like it's not logical. It's completely How emotional based. Yeah. So like it, it, when, when those that are responding in that manner, how is that at all different from what they are opposing, right? The fact yeah. that they yeah. can't understand that is Not what we're, is what cops we're talking are bad. about. They're the fascist anti-fascist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let, uh, uh, for those of you who can't see me, we're just doing a podcast. There's no video. Uh, I am a minority, right? I'm Hispanic. I was born Puerto Rican. I identify as Puerto Rican. <laughs> and, I identify uh, you as Puerto Rican. Yeah, that's good. Hey, thanks. So thanks for go. respecting my <laughs> identity. I will allow so, you to identify as whatever yeah. you wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the SEAL community, right, uh, it's 99% Caucasian. There is no racism there. There's nothing but brotherhood, camaraderie, and that's it, right? Yep. There are very few minorities but they don't like shun them and push them away. It's like, oh, hey, I wish more, you know, uh, multicultural people were in the community. That would be really cool. The fact is, what we've found actually is that uh, it's access to pools, right? The more comfortable you are in a pool or in water, the higher probability you'll have of making it through training yeah. as a minority. Yeah, yeah. We I had a dude. Up. We had a dude, Suresh, who is here, and he's a he's a black police officer. He's retired now. He's got his own company. He makes uh 
gloves and different tactical gear and stuff. And we had a big discussion on race relations, you know, him being a black police officer. How does that sit with you? Like, how, how does that work? Like in a predominantly Caucasian yeah. like department. Yeah. Like, he was the first. The, yeah, the he first. was the first yeah. black person on that department in the history of the department. And um, it was just one of those things we were talking about. Like, are the SEAL teams racist if minorities just aren't interested in trying out? Right. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, there was a whole talk on how, how the SEALs and the special forces community are, uh, are racist because they're not diverse. And it's like the fact that they're not diverse doesn't necessarily mean that there's racism taking place. If there's people who just aren't interested in playing or not playing, my mind's racing ahead to like sports, but like if there's people who aren't interested in trying out for those jobs, because there's a bunch of people who are, who are minorities who come into the military Mm -hmm. and they have the same opportunity to try out. And there's just a lot of people like, yeah, I'm not interested. Well, they think about it like 10, 15 years ago, the special operations community wasn't as well publicized as it is today. Right. You had Dick Marcinko who's writing books. Oh yeah. That's how I found out about the steel community. And then I watched that documentary Navy SEALs that was awesome with Charlie Sheen. Was yeah, really it was a good cool documentary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to I jump out of all, the Jeep off the bridge. Say, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was like that was a prerequisite to be yeah. a Navy SEAL. Yeah, from I started practicing that. I was started bridge jumping. I was like, oh, dude, I guess yeah. I did this. Every Navy SEAL has to go out and play golf on the golf cart, right? Right. Oh yeah. 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 Get drunk. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's a uh, it's interesting. So like, the more popular it has now become, you would think the more um, minorities would be trying it out, but it. It really just isn't the case, right? It, it, it may have gone up a fraction, and maybe in another decade it'll go up even more. Um, but I, would, I, I still wonder if it's going up because of the publicity or it's, becoming, it's going up because more people are you know, finding out about it. Because when I was growing up, the, like I said, the only way I found out about the special operations community was through those books and through that, that movie. And I was like, man, that's cool as shit. I want to try that out. <laughs> and I was on a swim team when I was a younger kid. Yeah. I was always around the water. And I was like, well, let me try that out. And I went to a military. I was in junior ROTC in, uh, in Orlando at Oviedo High School. I did really good there. And that was it indoc- indoctrinated me into the military lifestyle and the military mindset. Then I went to a military college in Vermont. After college, I enlisted in the uh, Navy because I really didn't want to go to college at first. I, I just wanted to enlist. But my parents were like, hey, you got to go to college, right? And totally respected them, went and did that. Um, and I'm very thankful for them to have pushed me back from, in, uh, from enlisting earlier because it takes a whole lot of maturity. I didn't have the maturity I needed, I think, at 18 to go through SEAL training because I'm a child, right? It took me much longer to get there. I went in at 20, 21. Uh, you went in, you, you joined at 18, right? Yeah. 17 or something like that, right? Yeah, like 12, I, went through, 12, yeah. I went through Buds at like, I think I was nine. By the time the class, we classed up and all that stuff, I think I was 19. Yeah. Were you the youngest kid in your class? Uh, one at of any them. phase in the yeah. Uh, when, when I got to the East Coast, I was the youngest one on the East Coast at the yeah. time. So it was like, there, I think there's one or two other guys who were like about my same age. But yeah. So went through at 18, 19 years old. That is an anomaly. How old were you in jump school? Probably 19. Yeah. Okay. It's jump school anomaly. sucked for me. I turned 21 during jump week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, during jump week, you cannot have alcohol. You can't, you can't do anything on jump week. You're like, uh, it's really bad. And if you get caught, you'll totally get kicked out of jump school. It's, and they're very serious about it. 
And uh, yeah, I turned 21 literally like the day before jump week started. I was like, you guys, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right, though. I was totally immature. I was a, I was a freaking maniac. But it's, it was just sheer a energy, nature. sheer energy in just like a good attitude. The whole thing was a joke to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like as far as all the the beatdown sessions and all that, you know, like. Could you at 18, could you understand that what you were training for was to go to war and kill bad guys or was it mainly yeah, just like an yeah but thing, I, like but I again like there i was doing a lot of really stupid stuff prior like on weekends my goal was like i'd go do stuff just I'd do bad stuff. Like I can kind of I I'm going to be very careful on how i say this <laughs> <laughs> In some aspects, I see what the college kids are doing with Antifa and BLM and, and going in and just smashing cities and doing all this mischief and all this kind of stuff. Like, I can relate to that to an extent. They're misguided and lost. That 18 years of pinned-up aggression. Right. Like, they they're, <laughs> they want this cause to fight for, and they're just being manipulated and used. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was doing, like, a lot of mischievous bad things just for the adrenaline rush of getting chased by the police. Like my, on weekends, I would just go out and do stuff just for the sheer fact of having the police chase me just so I could run from them. And I I have a freaking flawless record. They never got me. It was like, you know, they're interrogating my friends, trying to get them to turn me in. And uh, all but now stuff. that you've like, admitted to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying what we did. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not that stupid. But like, um, but yeah, so... Coming in to the military, I was still doing a lot of that stuff. And there's a lot of stuff I would have gotten like big trouble for. Like some of the ones that are more funny, you know what I mean? Like the funnier ones were like, here we are. I'm in the Navy. I'm up for, I get honor student for a school, right? So in the classroom, I'm performing great. And I got number one in my class. I got an early promotion. What they didn't know is on the weekends, we were breaking in the construction sites and climbing up into these high rises that were being under construction. We'd go to the golf course to the driving range and do like our little black ops and go steal all the golf balls off the driving range. And then we'd go to this high rise that was under construction. It's like, hey, dude, all these buildings are made with like hurricane windows, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So we'd go up in the high rise and we just hit the golf balls at the neighboring building <laughs> and just launch golf balls into all the other high rises up on the beachfront. You know, and just, and just hang out. And there's this like, so these are some of the funny ones. We'd, we'd do urban rock climbing and we'd climb up the sides of, of condos and, and buildings in the city Mm -hmm. and climb up the, like the drain pipes and all this kind of stuff. And like, I look at it now and I'm like, holy shit. Like if we fell off that 10 story building or if you got caught, right. Or if you got caught, then we'd come in through a window, we'd climb up the side of the building and then get into the building and then we'd have fire extinguisher wars in the hallway, Jeez. you know, just totally smoke the place <laughs> out, get up on the roof. I remember doing like in New Orleans and we'd run from roof to roof and then we'd just sit, climb up on one of the big billboards and we'd hang out on top of the billboards and watch all the police and fire trucks and stuff come because all the fire extinguishers just got set off, right. you know. <laughs> and then, so this is all like building up, going Your to buds. tax dollars at good use. Yeah, and it it finally came to like a reality check. And I think I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts. Uh, During Buds, this is after Hell Week. At like 2 o'clock in the morning, I get bored. So I go break into the skate park that's Mm. on Coronado. Yeah. 
and I'm riding the skate park all by myself. I got two buddies there who are like on skateboards and I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, riding the, the, uh, the skate park and a police officer comes up and they just jump the fence. And I'm like, damn, I got my bike. Do I run? I'm like, he's got me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, you got me fair and square this time for my first time getting caught. I'm like, shit. So record, flawless record gone, you know, and and, he get arrested. He basically, he, he's like, let me see your ID. You know what the hell's wrong with you? And I give him my, my ID and he looks at us and you can tell when someone's in the military. I mean, we're on a military Island and he's like, you in the mil, you in the Navy. I'm like, I hand him my military ID and it has that sticker on it from Naval special warfare, like showing that you're in training. And he's like, you in the, you in the seal program? I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, you make it through Hell Week yet? I'm like, yes, I did. And he's like, so you mean to tell me that you made it through Hell Week? You made it through the hard part. And you're out here at two in the morning riding your bike in the skate park? He's like, to if, get a biscuit. he's like, dude, if I arrest you for this, you realize you're going to be kicked out of the program, right? And I'm like, didn't think yeah, that I mean, when you say it like that, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't expecting yeah. you to show up. Yeah. So... Yeah. He's but like, like it, as an 18 year old, I'm sure that was on the weekend, right? Yeah. So I couldn't, yeah, so you I couldn't, couldn't go, go out to bars. Yeah. You couldn't yeah, try to yeah. pick up chicks. What else are you going to do? There's nothing, yeah. right? So like a lot of the 18 year olds, 18 to 20, 18 to 20, what they would do on the weekends was fun stuff like that, where they would go up to the hotel Dell, hop the fence on the pool and just hang out with, in the jacuzzi looking to pick up uh, chicks yeah. at the jacuzzi. Yeah. Doing right? urban rock climbing, yeah. doing, <laughs> you know, riding bmx and stuff like that and going rock climbing out like just outside the city like right like legitimate rock climbing yeah you know but Cowles mountain yeah there's but there's just a lot of like stupid stuff and you got all this energy and you got all this you know uh confidence and all this stuff that's just unchecked no yeah. one helping you you know what i mean it's it. not like the way we <laughs> explained it previously it's like uh like a fire hose just spraying water all over the place. And what it needs to be, you need that cone to be directed and it needs to be like fine tuned and very specific. And with that, instead of just making a mess everywhere, like you can cut through shit like a laser beam with the water jet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once it's focused and directed in the right manner, you know? So it was just like super wild, but like, yeah, like the maturity level wasn't really there. And then that, that's kind of like where I finally got that gut check was like, dude, I just, everything that I've achieved so far, you know, I'm on the right path. Like, but the whole thing's just, it wasn't a game, but it, it, there was just a lot of things. From that, a maturity perspective, I'm sure you probably didn't understand yeah. how much you had to risk. Yeah. And then right? from there I was like, damn, you know, okay. You know, and then as, as time went on, one of the things that started to happen was I realized that, you know, as you would hear more and more stories about guys who messed up, doing stuff like I was doing or guys who would do other stuff that was serious where it was like, it wasn't, you know, John Doe, uh, you know, stole a car. It was Navy seal steals car. And now it's like, once, once I actually got to the team and made it through all the training and, and got my trident. Now it was like, Oh shit, I'm actually, I'm a Navy seal. And now it's not Rich Graham anymore. No one gives a shit who Rich Graham is. Right. The The title in front of my name is what's going to represent the community. You know what I mean? So if I go do this stupid stuff just for a rush, 
you know, everyone else is going to pay the price yeah. on on my stupidity. And they're starting to feel that uh, pressure now with, um, you know, all the bad media that's going on in the SEAL community over the last two years. I mean, it's gotten yeah. progressively worse. So now they've come down to like, you know, hey, you guys got to get haircuts every few days and do all these inspections. Total uh, things crap. That, you guys got to yeah. actually have standards? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> standards are already there. Now we just got to do nonsense yeah. bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really, really strange. And to, to that community, a haircut is the worst, right? Because oh, yeah, that's kind of yeah. like that identity where it's like, oh, I'm a Billy Badass. I got long hair. Obviously, I never got to do that. I'm bald. I've been bald <laughs> since I was 19. But uh, I, I, so like I had a, a funny story. Like I had a, a really uh, thick Middle Eastern looking beard all throughout my uh, time in, in deployments. And, um, you know, I was doing things that I had to talk to Arabic people and I, I had to learn Arabic a little bit and got to do some some pretty interesting stuff. But, in you know, I was deployed in Iraq, and uh, we would come back from NOP, go get breakfast, and everybody would still be kitted up. We'd drop our kid off, but still, you know, in our uh, combat fatigues, going into the chow hall, and this was in uh, Al-Assad. And um, we'd go in there, and all the white boys behind me, because I was leading the way because Fatty's got to eat, but <laughs> all the white boys behind me, the sergeant major would just be standing right there, arms crossed in a, in a oh, chair. Yeah. Yeah. He'd pop up and be like, hey, you boys, you need to go back and, uh, you know, you guys you guys go need to change. There's blood on your stuff, everything. Yeah. You know, you guys got to go back and change. You terp, you're all right. Go ahead and go you in. You terp, you're yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I was just the top oh, thank you, thank you. Terp, yeah. Yeah. Interpreter, yeah. He doesn't know any better. Let him yeah. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I just laugh at them, go in and go uh -huh, in. Like, uh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah that was like um, every every everywhere you deploy, when you have like uh, the forward operating bases, guys would go out and they'd be on the FOBs for, you know, weeks or, or months or whatever, and then they'd come back and they'd get some little PX time or whatever you want to call it, you know, um, during my deployments, we didn't have much of a PX. It was a short little container, but, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, at least it was something better than being at a fob, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. they get, you get a warm shower this time. And, uh, yeah, the guys would still like, they have beards and, and the hair would be growing out. Cause you know, a lot of these fobs they didn't have anybody cutting hair unless it was your buddy or something, you know? Right. Yeah, they get yelled at all the time. It's like, come on, man, cut these guys a break. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like if you if you're not yeah. out there sitting on a fob, like you don't know what it's like, man. That shit sucks. <laughs> that shit part sucks. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. I remember being um, we were on our way to Israel, and there was a bombing attack, and I was transporting the uh, all our weapons and ammunition, and we had flown from. Uh, we had, we had flown into a, a airport off the coast. It was it was in Italy, right? I'm not going to say where it was, but like into a place in Italy. And basically, we were making a hop to go into Israel, and we got stopped because where we were going, there was this bombing, and we were about to land and go drive into this, and, and it was like a big mess. So like you gotta you gotta wait. <clears throat> and while I was while I was there, waiting with the with the ammunition and all this stuff, uh. One of the one of the guys who was actually one of our third phase buds instructors shows up and we kind of catch each other in passing. He's like, "Oh, what are you guys doing here?" Like, "Oh, just waiting. I'm, I'm just sitting here with this pallet for a few days, just guarding it on the side of a runway." <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, we're in a, we're in an airplane hangar, but like we have all our stuff. They took it off the plane because the plane couldn't wait for a few days. So like, I'm just guarding this shit in this airplane hangar, and uh, it was. 
the, uh, at the time when I was with him in Buds, it was tree size, but he was one of the main dudes. The was scene, he a hammer or a hugger? He was he was huge. Like yeah. he was scary. No, but as a Buds instructor, was he a hammer? Like, he was he one of those dudes who was just like really quiet. Oh, okay. And everyone was scared of him. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, I think yeah. he thought about smiling once or twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so he didn't say much. But when he spoke, like everyone listened up, you know what I mean? Right. And um, and he was kind of overseeing the training. But he was he was from the the Dick Marcinko era, mm-hmm. so he was one of the original guys that formed up SEAL Team Six. He, he went through the older SEAL training back, like when it back in the tail end of the underwater demolition teams as they came into the SEALs, you know that like older Vietnam era, and um. And at the time, the underwater demolition teams and the SEALs were like the top of the top. And everything was like super military bearing. And like everyone always looked really clean cut. Mm-hmm. And they were the most professional. You know what I mean? And at the time, that was something to be like proud of. And it was just interesting. So where I'm sitting there and I have like long sideburns and my hair is long. And he's just sitting there staring at me, and we're just like, what's up, senior chief? And he's just like, I don't know what it is with your generation. And I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, he's like, what, what's, wrong, what's wrong with your hair? And I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I'm tracking what you're saying. And he's like, why is your hair so long? I was like, uh, I don't know. He's like, are those sideburns regulation? I'm like, probably not. He's like, why, <laughs> why didn't you cut them? Yeah. And I'm like, because uh, no one's making me cut them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he's like, that's the problem with this generation of SEALs. He's like, you guys have no military bearing. You, you know, you've lost pride in the job and blah, blah, blah. And he just started like chewing me out, but like chewing out like everybody. You know yeah. what I mean? And I was like, Damn. And this know. is coming from a guy who broke into military bases for a job as SEAL Team Six was getting formed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah like, that makes sense. You know, he's yeah, one of the yeah. the founders of of, of uh, development group, yeah. and but it was just interesting to hear to hear his take. But then you look at what's happened with the SEAL teams over the last twenty years, mm-hmm. and then where they're at now. So yeah. now, like the SEALs are ramping it back, like, and they're like, dude. And this has been in place for a while, but you get a DUI, you get your trident pull, you're out of the SEAL team. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get in a bar fight or you get in a fight after midnight. Like, why are you out after midnight? You get, you know, yeah. you're you're gone. And I remember like the the generation in like the 80s and stuff like that. Like those guys would go to the range and I've heard stories of like dudes, you know, who'd be like, they throw one grenade for the range, one for me, one for the range, <laughs> yeah. one for me. You know what I mean? Like, well, even so, like, talk about like hypocrisy. Some of the people hammering down on discipline right now. Like, I know there's a few master chiefs that were going, and they were in the bar fight with uh, Chuck Liddell, right? Oh, yeah. There was a big bar fight, and and, and uh, nobody won. It was just a nasty brawl. But that, everyone was hammered drunk. It was probably like 4 a.m. at a strip club. And uh, that happened. Nobody got in trouble. Now that same dude who got in that fight 10 years earlier is now hammering down on guys. Oh, hey, I saw some steroids or something like that in your cage. Or I saw some like uh, 
some pills in your cage or were they prescription? Let me check, right? And they're really hammering down. Why would you if you were gonna if you were gonna do steroids, why would you bring it into work? Hey man. I know, I'm just it's saying it's all like, over, yeah. <laughs> it's all over the place. But like I, I never did it while I was in the teams because I was naturally just strong as shit. You've like, been jacked your whole life. You yeah. <laughs> I, I started weightlifting in high school and that like I was on the weightlifting team and I did it in college as well. Um, so I had that natural, like I'm short, right? I'm five, eight, five, seven, five, eight. And, um, I, I have like these little T-Rex arms and these little stumpy legs. <laughs> I'm built for power. I don't need steroids. Like if I did that, I'm sure it would just be a nightmare for me. Cause I would just be in snap city all the time, <laughs> but other guys like, you know, you guys, you have guys that come through, maybe they're like 130, 145 pounds, ultra runners. And now they got to put some size on cause they got to carry around uh, automatic weapon, right? And they have to put that size behind that gun to get after it. Um, and it's been a natural nightmare for them to gain some weight. Maybe they need to, you know, go on some some steroids to to get after it, right? That's just natural. Yeah. Like there's there's in my opinion, I never took steroids. There but should I never... be nothing wrong with it because it's yeah. it's in a performance enhancer. You, you, you yeah. never took steroids? Yeah. <laughs> I never took steroids. I don't know if you can tell yeah. from my giant physique. Yeah. But like I never got I never got bigger than. 168 pounds in the teams i mean like right now like normally i'm still i hang out between 163 and 172 yeah i'm sure if i took steroids i'd just be fatter but i've seen (laughs) i've seen some dudes you know that i knew from going through buds in like the earlier years and i remember what they looked like and they had like my style build and then i run into them and they're just like they're just huge yeah. like holy <laughs> shit what the hell happened to you you know what i mean like no 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 we're obviously taking them good vitamins where you get some hgh or something yeah, yeah. you know it's all natural man i swear <laughs> no i swear i haven't been to mexico yeah and that's where they, so like for those of you listening there was a big uh you know controversy like uh two years ago where and this is what happened um uh three years ago the jag told everybody in the community hey we're gonna drug test you in a year Everybody, in one year, we're going to drug test you. Also, just letting you know, it takes about three months for the cycle to kind of wear off. They put all of this information out there because they knew that steroids were being yeah. used in the teams. Again, there should be teams. nothing wrong it with all it. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. There should be nothing wrong with it, right? Like, you need an edge. You're going and training for war. You're going to train and kill bad guys, right? I'm sure that the enemy is doing something similar, right? They're not just playing by the rules all the time, yeah. right? You're in a athletic type of job. You should be as athletic as possible. If an injection is going to help you there, hey, man, do it. And they should be, like, regulated. Like, it should, instead of it being demonized, it should be like, hey, we're going to help you learn yeah, your like diet. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Yeah, whatever it is. Monitor it like a professional yep. athlete. Have a doctor do it. Yeah. There's, like, I don't know. watch sports, but I would watch sports if they would have football teams that just did steroids. Oh, man. That's like, the, as much uh, steroids as you got pumped into a human body. What are you talking about? And then let, the them, XFL? let them duke it out. Like, they know I'd watch yeah. sports. <laughs> yeah. If they had, if they the were, instead of wearing the football <laughs> outfit, they were... Uh, Shredder, remember Shredder from the Ninja <laughs> yeah. Turtles? That should be their football uniform. 
Yeah. And make them huge. <laughs> now I'm watching football. <laughs> I'm watching. Well, remember Shredder care, from like the second. I don't care what the political leanings are. I'm watching Oh, football. Super Shredder. Yeah, Super Shredder. Remember oh, the second yeah. Team See, that's what they would look like. Yeah, man. They would basically be Super Shredder. I would watch that all day every day. Oh, my God. That guy just broke that dude's leg straight off of his body. Yeah. Ripped it straight off. That was incredible. I'd probably still watching it even if they were taking a knee. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't care what their political leanings at that point. I'm watching it. They probably wouldn't have any legs by the end of the game anyway. Whatever. Everybody's knee. <laughs> Everyone's crawling. Oh man! So yeah, so the the community it's 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 filled of hypocrites right now, right? Because they're going to go through this generation of hey, we used to be these lawless like savages. Now we're trying to create Boy Scout a Boy Scout culture. It's going to take like ten to fifteen years to get that done, right? With the right leadership, and you know maybe maybe they have the right leadership in right now. But it's just a really tough transition. Transition is hard, right? kind of going back to my story in the beginning, right? Getting out of the military in 2016 to 2017, that was the worst year of my life. The absolute worst year. You got to redefine yourself professionally. You have to find out what you're going to do for money now, right? You're going to have to be an active, present husband for me and then a a father. I was gone all the time, right? Now, was getting out of the military a transition that you knew was coming? Like it was ETS or... yeah, uh, my contract was ending. Uh, I, w- I was enlisted, and um, my you know the lifestyle was wearing on my family. Yeah. I was gone all the time. My yeah, wife course, told yeah. me straight up, she was like, "Hey, either um, you get out and come move back to Florida with us, or I'm going to move back to Florida." She wasn't going to divorce me or anything. She was like, "I'm going to move back to Florida. Yeah. You come visit me whenever you're home." Because I wasn't home, right? Yeah, when well, you guys averaging like 300 days a year. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, even when you weren't during on the, shore duty. Yeah, when you weren't when you weren't on deployment, like if I check like my travel records for the for like when I was following my taxes and stuff like that with how much I was traveling, when I wasn't on deployment, I was gone over 300 days out of the year. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. when you were in those other, you know, days when I was home, right? The other 65 days, like. Some of those were weekends and some of those were, you know, you were still coming into work. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? You still yeah. got so, shit to do at work. So yeah. like for me, it was, it was, um, it was a decision that I had to make for my family yeah. and, um, I didn't, I couldn't be away from my kids. I could, I couldn't imagine a scenario where I would come home from a trip and my wife and kids weren't going to be yeah, there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, and it was the right time, right? Like physically my body was starting to shut down. I had like a shoulder surgery. I needed knee surgery, a hip surgery. Uh, my neck was all messed up. I had just finished um, doing uh, Botox because I had some traumatic brain injuries that were going on. And it made migraines like a nightmare for me. Yeah. I was like throwing up all the time. Oh, so you went through, you did the Botox for the, yeah, uh, for man. the migraines? Like I look fly as hell all dude, the time, dude. Yeah. I was wondering how <laughs> you had that perfect forehead. I've never met anybody who's actually done it. I've, I've it only heard incredible. about it. Yeah. So... For, I for wish those of you who could don't see know, right now. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's expressionless. <laughs> it doesn't move. Holy cow, yeah. I'm transfixed. <laughs> I'm very expression. Uh, I, I, hold, I hold all my expression through my eyes. So um, for those of you who don't know, uh, if you suffer from migraines and you try like two medications for migraines and they, the migraines still persist, you can opt to have Botox. And what Botox does is it paralyzes all the muscles that cause migraines right and it's not a one-stop shop it took a year it took a straight year of once a month i would get like 30 injections all around the dome of my head down the back of my neck all around my ears and it sucked 
and the worst part was I wasn't taking migraine medicine anymore. Um, so you're still getting you're still mig- getting yeah. the migraines, and I'm still getting Ugh. all of these shots. And the Botox doesn't work for the first three months because wow. you're you're slowly paralyzing all of those muscles that end up giving you migraines. So at the three month mark, I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. (laughs) It's not working. (laughs) I'm still miserable. I'm still throwing up all the time. Uh, I I just got to quit this. And my wife was like, Stop being a bitch. (laughs) Get after it. And I was like, all right, right that's a good lady. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, you had me, Riv had me set up, like he's trying to help me with my VA stuff. Right. And like we have this problem of, you know, just toughing things out. You know what yeah. I mean? And he's like, Hey dude, so do you have headaches? I'm like, Yeah, I have headaches sometimes. And he's like, All right, you know, like how often do you have headaches? I'm like, I don't know, I don't really pay attention to it. You made me get that freaking migraine, app. My migraine buddy. So yeah. now I was actually thinking about <laughs> do I have a headache today? Yeah. Dude, I've literally had a headache for the last two months since yeah. I've been recording it. I've had like three days in two months that my head hasn't been killing me. And Those I just worked through headaches. it. Dude, Those I just been migraines. working through it. Yeah, yeah. but it's like, I didn't realize how often I was having it because mm-hmm. it was like, okay, today my head hurts. Yeah. Okay, but I'm busy. I'm doing stuff. The next day it's like, I forget that my head hurt yesterday and I'm like... Oh, fuck, my head hurts today. Yeah. But anyway, it's I got like shit to do. Also, the military, and it's, well, maybe not the military, just uh, life in general maybe, but but like for me, it goes, I go, ah, oh, you know what? Did I drink enough water yesterday? Maybe maybe that's what it's from. And then it's always you try like, to oh, justify. Or, yeah, did, yeah. Did, I, did I eat right today? Because maybe I'm getting a headache from that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like in reality, especially with an app like that, because I know a lot of people that, that have done that and realized they have like migraine clusters, you know? Yeah. like, And so, uh, yeah, with an app like that, it, it definitely helps you figure that out, but that's exactly. Dude, I like, I literally was filling so this app out, and I'm like, if I turn this into a doctor, they're just gonna think I'm full of shit. No, yeah. they're gonna be like, there's no way you've had you've had a headache every single day for two months. Like you're full of shit. No, and this you know? is this is the problem with the veteran community. We don't go to the doctor, yeah. or when we do go to the doctor, the only thing you're focused on is getting out of the doctor, right? So you go to the VA, and you're like, how do I get this done as fast as fucking possible? Yeah, everything's fine. Can I go? Good. I'm gone. Instead of sitting down and really writing out like journaling, here's all the things that are going on in my life, right? Here is how bad my migraines are. Here's how frequently they are. Here's GERD, right? For those you don't know, gastroesophageal reflux disorder is a massive problem with the veteran community, but we all just think it's this thing called acid reflux and you take over the counter uh, antacids and that makes the symptoms subside a little bit. So it's manageable. The symptoms are still there. It's just more manageable, right? The other problem is, is yeah. like, like with something like that, like everybody wants to, you know, take Tums or whatever for acid reflux. But the thing is, is I know a guy who got throat cancer from yeah. acid reflux. It happens like really fast. Oh, and it's yeah. one of those cancers that by the time you figure out you have it, you're going to die from it. For sure. Like he yeah. found well, out he had it and then two months later he was dead. Damn. Like it's fast. Yeah. And so like GERD, it is, let me ask you too, right? How many times did you go to medical and, or you go to your medic and they didn't write anything down, but they just <laughs> gave you um, Motrin or yeah, ibuprofen, all the, right? All the time. All the time. Yeah. When you took that ibuprofen, did you take it before you worked out so that way you could get through the workout oh, yeah, or yeah, before yeah. an active evolution? Or did you take it like you're supposed to take, take it? Take it on a full stomach with, with a, a meal. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just stopped going to – like one, I wouldn't go to medical because I was afraid they were going to find something that was actually wrong. Yeah. And then you wouldn't be able to deploy. Yep. Or sure. you would get yeah. – you know, kicked out of training or that's like, a huge thing. Like the yeah. culture in the military and in, in the SEAL community, especially 
don't go to medical. If you go to medical, yeah. you're going to get medically retired. Do you not want to do this job anymore? Suck it the fuck up and yep. self-medicate. Well, there's or a turn reason why Motrin's called Ranger Candy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wouldn't even take it. I mean, which brings up an interesting point when you're talking about the psychedelics. Because yeah. <clears throat> for me, when I had, um, if you guys don't know this from the other podcasts, I'm, I got out of the SEAL teams because I threw a 96% blockage in my brachial vein. Um, and I had to have a big surgery where they removed my top rib, my first rib, the one right below your collarbone. And I had witnessed my one of my brothers getting uh, a back injury from years of surfing. <clears throat> and he got addicted or he, he had to go on this pain medication and the prescription ended. And I watched him get addicted to opioids and, uh, and battle through all of that stuff and the relapse and like, you know, like the prescription ended, then he had to find it somewhere and just that whole battle. So I'm like, dude, uh, when they went to do the surgery, they had me on like, and I don't, I don't drink and do drugs or anything like that. So like I was a straight edge in high school and everything. And, um, so I get into do these surgeries and they put me on like, uh, all these big heavy painkillers and stuff. And I got like, they made me like angry and violent. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I was throwing stuff in the hospital room and they, they keep changing up the medications and things. And it was just like, my body was like, what the hell is this stuff? You know? And when it came out, when it was time for me to leave, like they had me set up for painkiller prescription, like one of those opioid painkiller prescriptions for like, the next six months, like yeah. I had three, I had three refills mm-hmm. and it would have taken me out six months of, of being on painkillers for this surgery. And I was like, dude, I don't want those. And they're like, we can't release you to, from the hospital till you pick up your prescription because the prescription places downstairs. I'm like, I'm going to take them and flush them down the toilet. Like, don't do that. That's illegal. Don't flush painkillers <laughs> yeah. on the toilet. And I'm like, well, I'm not don't taking the alligators. Them. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so I pick them up. I chuck them because I don't want them because mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to get addicted to them. And the next day when the morphine or whatever it was they had me on wore off, like, <laughs> I could that. barely breathe. It was yeah. so painful. And I had this little thing with this little, um, it was like a little tube with a hose that came off the bottom. It kind of looked like a bong. Right. Right. And it had a ball in it and you had to suck the air and you had to create the suction through the little hose to lift the ball up and they measured every day, like how much you could move it. Yeah. Yeah. To make sure you didn't get pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I had this bag that was like draining fluid from my, like, uh, from the wound, like from my chest cavity. So it came out between my ribs and it was draining like blood and fluid that was building up in there. So I had to do this to work it. And I guess that worked some of that fluid out and stuff like that. Anyway, the whole point with that is, you know, after a few days of not being on the painkillers, my body basically developed enough. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, that like numb the pain. What, what's that word? Not dopamine. Maybe dopamine, but like not antibodies. What is it when uh, like your body makes its own painkiller? No, I don't know. We don't really. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, no. I'm having a brain fart right yeah. now. Right? Um, yeah, so that stuff. Yeah. So that stuff. So like, anyway, after like a few days. Endorphins? Endorphins, thank you. Oh, okay. Endorphins. Yeah. So like after a few days, like I was able to manage the pain. Right. You know, on my own and didn't take those painkillers. But like for me, I saw something like those painkillers. I was like, dude, 
I'm going to be another one of those veterans because now I'm getting like, as soon as this, like I'm going to be on my tail end, you know, cause I'm getting removed from the military mm-hmm. and I'm going to be getting out and I'm going to be addicted to these fucking things. It's going to ruin and, your life. And here I am. I'm going to go down that. Uh, I'm going to get out. I'm not going to have access to that stuff or I'm, I'm going to have access to it through the VA, but now I'm going to be addicted. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see these dudes committing suicide and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want that to be me. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like afraid you know, Rightly to so. take those medications. Like part, so part of me is like, I, I see the way the medical industry works. And so it's not just like afraid of going to the doctor because like, you know, you, there might find something wrong. It's like, okay, well there is something wrong, but I don't really believe in many cases that their approach to fixing it is actually trying to fix the problem versus, you know, causing many more problems. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it's, they're just, they're mitigating. Like I went to the hospital, I was hospitalized, uh, for four days. Ago. Yeah. A few months yeah. ago for, uh, like, uh, a cyst that I d- had developed and it, it was like, I was, I got a fever and all this stuff. And finally I was like, I got to go to the hospital. Like Brandon, our producer, he's sitting here. He's like, <laughs> I showed up to his house. I'm like, yeah, dude, what do you think about this? And, him, and his <laughs> wife works at like runs like the hospitals and they just post him and they're like, dude, you're going to the hospital right now. Like, this is bad. You have a fever, you know? And I'm like, is that what am I not supposed to have a fever? (laughs) Like, dude, you're going to get MRSA and die. Like we're taking you to the hospital. And the next thing you know, I'm in the hospital for four days, Mm -hmm. but it was like for four days, I had four different doctors coming in and be like, Hey dude, how you doing? Okay. Here, take this medicine. And it was like, no one touched me. And for four days I had, I was just basically given, you know, tons and tons of medication. I'm not saying what they did was wrong, there's a lot of things that like treat the symptoms or, or manage, manage the stuff, but each medicine that you get affects something else in your body. For sure. And maybe it's not that big of a deal if you're only there for a few days or you're on it for a few days, but there's a lot of people who like, when I remember when I was a personal trainer, be like, Hey man, you have any health conditions or anything like that? You need to, you know, uh, Oh no, no, we're good. Like, okay, cool. You're taking any vacations? Like, Oh, I take some high blood pressure med- or I take this medication for high blood pressure. I'm like, I thought you said you didn't have any medical issues. Yeah. Well, I don't. I'm like, no, well, you because have- I take high blood pressure medication. Because I take high blood pressure medication. So like, yeah. so you have high blood pressure. No, no, no. I don't have it anymore because I'm on medication for it. Like, okay. So we didn't change your lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Right. That was giving you the high blood pressure to begin with. Mm-hmm. You just took a medication. Right. But if you're on high blood pressure medication for the rest of your life, because you never fixed the actual issue that was giving you high blood pressure to begin with, then the medication for the high blood pressure is going to cause other problems within your body in which all you're going to do is take another medication for. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in coming back to like what, what you're talking about with, um, the psychedelic medicine. Yeah, have, yeah. Having people drink kerosene, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What, what is it called again? Ketamine. Ketamine. Yeah. Special okay. K. Special K. Yeah. So, in in that, like, what kind of, or is it too early? Like, what are the long term effects, or or is this something that they have to keep on taking? You know, how does that work so in the body, like these other drugs? In, in the body, what, what happens is, um, in this thing called the K hole, uh, you go into it, and you just have to face your demons. You have to deal with things that you're not dealing with, right? From your childhood through adolescence, all the way through adulthood, right? And you have to deal with them. And you're, you're, you're basically, um, the way that you can describe it is the mirror that you look at yourself with, 
the broken mirror that you look at yourself with, the one that kind of tells you all of these narratives like, you know, you're too fat, you're, you know, you're, uh, the, the negative self-talk that you have gets shattered, rebuilt, and you have to look at yourself the way you really are, right? So then from that, you have to deal with all of these things that are really going on, um, root cause uh, uh, solutions, and then you're done, right? You're done. But now it's, it's, um, so I can't remember what spiritual leader there was, but essentially he, um, create, he got to spiritual enlightenment. Maybe it was the Dalai Lama or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Got to spiritual enlightenment, you know, essentially became like, um, uh, felt like a, a godly presence all the time, which I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. But, um, when you feel that, how do you go back to your life? Right. Like, how do you after knowing that there is a God and and, and you feel this unbelievable love and and power running through your veins and in this dimension and another one. Right. Um, How do you go back to your life? How do you go back to your job? How do you go back to your family? How do you how do you do these things that, you know, uh, don't matter? Not your family, but, you know, like your job. You have to. That's a really good point. That's actually we went off on a huge tangent. Yeah. You just reminded me of how we got back to here. I, we were talking about that one charity that does the, the spiritual mentorship. Yeah. But so like through that, there's some people who actually like come to Christ. For sure. And, yeah. So atheists. Right. So yeah. atheists who then go down that rabbit hole and they're mm-hmm. and they face that thing and, and Christ comes in and meets them at that spot yeah. and basically is like, hey, dude, this wasn't your fault. Nope. And then they walk them back out. But then just like the, the, the often the lie of, you know, finding your faith is that, oh, now that I found my faith, it's going to be everything's fixed and easy. And it's like, it's like, no, 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 no. You now are just aware. Yeah. But now the attack really comes in bigger because now you are aware. So the things that used to be like, um, things that used to be part of your daily routine and practice once you now know that it's bad for you now you it's much like there's a lot more responsibility in making that decision because you can't just pretend like you don't know anymore right every minute of every day you know you're getting attacked and now and now that's part of consciously avoid those thoughts so that's part of your leadership program that you're looking at and once these guys because coming out of it it's like okay cool well you had this experience but maybe your communication still sucks with your family. So what yeah. are you going to do? So it's kind of um, uh, the way it made sense to me, it was described to me as, is you go through this experience and uh, let's say you are the you that is you, your ego is a cabin in the middle of the woods, right? And the woods are snow laden and there's these paths that you take every day. And those paths are your memories. Those are how you respond to things. All the time, right? Whether that's responding out of anger or shortness or, or whatever that is. Now, when you go through these experiences, a fresh coat of snow just lays on the ground. Now, you can go down those familiar paths or you can recognize you're going down those familiar paths and say, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to take this new path over here to the left and see how that takes me, right? But you have to consciously think about that when you're reacting to these situations. So you're like, oh man, all right, I can I can do something different. I don't have to do what I've always done. Meditation is a massive life skill that a lot of veterans don't do because it's extremely difficult, right? Yeah. How do you, so like, I remember when I first started trying to meditate, 
I it couldn't was, stop thinking about other things. Exactly. And that is the worst part. Like you sit there, five minutes feels like an hour because your brain is just shotgun blasting in every direction. You're like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Fuck this. I'm done. Right. And then you just stop. Whereas if you just kind of pushed through that and been more habitual with it, the clarity would have come. And through that clarity, then you can find, I did a meditation session before coming here and I did a 38 minute uh, meditation session. Didn't was that on the drive about, here? Since you don't yeah. have to actually drive? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a Tesla. So yeah. now he can, now he can. Uh, I don't have to drive. The car yeah, he can just itself. meditate in his yeah. car. <laughs> no, I was just that's slitting what, down. That's the key right there. We're yeah, yeah, that's how we that's, meditate. That's how I got 38 minutes of free time to meditate. Right, yeah. <laughs> So I, I laid down on the ground and I use this app called um, Insight Timer. Um, and it's an incredible app to use if you're, if you're out there. Uh, it's not a sponsor of the show yet, but hopefully one day it will be. <laughs> but it's incredible, right? You can do guided meditations or you can do uh, meditations where it's just, you know, really soothing noises that you hear. And um, it prevents you from falling asleep because every few minutes there's a ding. So when you're in this clear headspace, there's no thoughts. You're really just focusing on your emotions. You're focusing on your heart. You're focusing on your body, right? This space as it currently stands. Um, and you're not worried about your job. You're not worried about how you're going to make money. You're not worried about your kids. You're not worried about your wife. You're just clear. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place to live in, but it's extremely difficult to get there. Um, we were talking about that a little bit in the previous podcast. Uh, we had one of the uh, guests was a, uh, doing yoga for first responders. Oh yeah. And we were the main kind of theme was breathing. And part of that was the meditation and the breathing right. drills to help, you know, with meditation and clear your mind and all that kind of stuff. Do you find that to be one of the Absolutely. important? Absolutely. Yeah. Breathing is one of the most natural, unnatural things that we do. Uh, it really does control our life unless you control it. So uh, I started doing this stuff called Wim Hof breathing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. it. But, dude, it is absolutely incredible. Dude, you should come here this winter when the pool gets cold. Yeah. We'll do I it. Do, I do yeah. one to two chili We're dips every day it. during yeah. the winter months. Yeah. And the pool's in, like, in the, in the 50s. It's We're awesome. Dump ice in it this That's time. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't need ice, man. It's cold. So tell them, yeah. tell them what, so about Wim the Wim Hof breathing. breathing is um, essentially what you're doing is you're getting all the oxygen out of your lungs. And then you hold your breath with no oxygen. You're growing hypoxic. Yes. Yeah. But you don't die, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and you can hold your breath with no oxygen. I've done it for up to three minutes, and that third minute, when I'm there, I'm like, oh, "Okay, it's time to breathe again." It's not a labored breath. Yeah. That first breath of oxygen you take in is the most intense breath that you've ever experienced in your life. And I'm talking an extreme dopamine rush in your brain, and it is beautiful. You'll feel tingling all over the place. Not like numbness and tingling, but this this power of oxygen. And it's, it's, it's around you all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So you get it in your body, and you're like, oh my God, and you do it again and again and again. You can get up to like five, maybe even six, seven minutes of a exhaled deep breath, right? An exhaled uh, a breath hold. Uh, and through that that time, while you're um, trying to stay calm and not panic, when in those three minutes when you're holding your breath, the first time you do it, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Just going through the process, the first time you do it, you may just get a minute breath hold with no oxygen. It's going to blow your mind, right? Uh, and there's an app, the Wim Hof Method app, WMF, um, uh, Wim Hof, W-H. 
WHM. WHM. Yeah. yeah. So um, you do it and you do it just repeatedly and it becomes another life skill to master. And it's, it's absolutely incredible, man. Like I've, I've done some psychedelic medicines in the past um, and it is as close to that type of spiritual experience as you're going to get just with breathing naturally. Right. And it's controlling. and, and, And the real big thing is, focusing on your mental space your um your meditation while you're in that uh uh, hypoxic state because your brain is gonna be like breathe breathe no breathe right now no you really need to breathe but you just need to calm down don't breathe yeah and just know that everything's gonna be okay you're not gonna die right if you're gonna die you're just (gasps) take a breath breath. in yeah Yeah. he's not doing this underwater yeah no 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 yeah this (laughs) is an underwater drill and when you hold your breath what a lot of people don't realize when you're underwater, you have this, we call it the funky chicken. Chicken necking. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, doing the, mm, mm, mm. you know, and you're doing the little squirmy, yeah. right? You're making that funny sound. If you've tried to hold your breath underwater in the pool, like for a while, you've probably experienced it. Right. But your, your body has a sensor. And once you deplete like 30% of the oxygen, I'm, I'm making that number up, but like just bear with me but like a certain percentage like when you once you've burned through a certain certain percent of your oxygen there's a natural reflex that kicks in that makes you take another breath survival right? mode. yeah it's just like a mode. it's yeah. just an automatic thing so you don't have to think about it so as you but when you exhale you're exhaling like 20 percent 30 percent oxygen like you didn't burn up all the oxygen when you exhaled you didn't use it all there was still right. more there but your body's like, I'm not going to wait till there's no oxygen left to then have you take a breath. So there's in the natural breathing rhythm, you don't use up all of the oxygen, right? And then there's and where still is the oxygen, oxygen actually held. It's in, held in your in, body, in not your, your body, lungs. not your lungs. Yeah. yeah, your lungs is just where the exchange, where the exchange happens right. to the blood. So the the actual active oxygen is still coursing through your body, to your right? and metabolizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, it's a it's a very interesting. I mean, just think about like uh, yeah. going through pool comp, right? Second phase, you're going through pool comp. In in uh, one of the things you do, you have to like crawl on the bottom, and you get these hits where you'll have like one or two instructors come down, and they'll just rip the mask off of your face, rip the regulator out of your mouth, tie knots behind you, and you have to stay calm, stay just cool. And they're tossing you all around on the bottom of the pool. Um, and once they're done, that could take up to, you know, 30, 45 seconds. Sometimes it, it's really as long as they can hold their breath. Right. And sometimes shittily enough, they can hold their breath for a really, really long fucking time. <laughs> sometimes yeah. they've been practicing Wim Hof. Yeah. <laughs> so then they do this and they shake you all up. And then after they're done, they're tying your, your hoses in knots. Then once they're done, they go to the surface and then watch you from the surface and you have to go through this specific procedure that sometimes sometimes takes as long as you know a minute and a half to two minutes now after all the other stuff after all happened, that yeah. other stuff has happened so some really shitty instructors out there some really awesome shitty instructors out there what they'll do is they'll wait for you to exhale and they'll just hover right above you because you're looking at the floor of the of the pool and they're hovering right above you and as you exhale they'll rip the regulator out of your mouth and then do all of that stuff because they're looking for you to rock it up to the surface, right? Yep. They're looking for you to go to Panic City and you have to stay calm. The entire time, you're chicken necking. Like, you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's like a, one of those uh, raves. <laughs> and you're going, like, you're just having to stay calm as you go through this procedure, take everything off, untie your knots. 
get the get the air flowing, pop that in your mouth, and then put it back on, right? And you're doing the chicken neck because your body your body doesn't know you're underwater, right? Yeah. So that's the natural reflex to take the breath in, but you're like, no, no, dude, I can't, don't I do can't, that, don't do that, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna drown. And your body's like, we're below thirty <laughs> percent engaged breathing, and you're like, no, 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 not yet, not yet. Red light, red light. Yeah. You don't and understand. You can hold your breath, like in that situation. You're holding your breath for like three, sometimes four minutes on an exhale, but that's out of necessity. Now you're not trying to do that Wim Hof yeah, breathing. Yeah, yeah. You're actually just trying to pass. It's you don't want to drown. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. You don't want to fail. Not yeah. drown. Yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah. drowns. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna. You just don't want to fail. Um, yeah, it's 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 actually really interesting. Just just the power of the breath. Think like going through really stressful situations. What does your breath naturally do when you're stressed out? Become short and labored. Yeah. Because naturally you're like, oh God, something's going on. You if you just yeah, yeah, if you just slow it down, nice deep breaths in and out, everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, you I start love there's getting um, control of your body. There's this. Yep. There used to be this TV show on, and and they, what they would do is they would hook up like these heart rate monitors and stuff to people mm-hmm. doing different situations, and and they did like with seals and and army uh, SF guys and then SWAT team guys and stuff, and they showed that like. Um, Dudes would stack up on a on a door, and like as they're getting, they're putting all their gear on, everything. They get these heart rate monitors and stuff on, and like their heart rates are like jacked way up, and they're right. getting all the, they're getting ready and everything, and they would stack up on a door, and it was it was across the boards, whether it was SWAT team or special ops guys or whatever, and they would stack up on the door, and all of a sudden like heart rates would boom come straight down, like blood pressure would come down, like everything would go to like normal levels, and then they'd go through a door, like yeah, it was just it's just crazy how like the body just gets in a rhythm. And it's like, and it sits there, and then at that moment, even though you don't know what's going to be on the other side of that, like all of a sudden your body just just hones in. That's a that's a trained thing. Yeah, yeah I know, sure. but I'm yeah. just saying, yeah. like that's just yeah. one of those things. Like the the body does like really weird shit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, and it and it can adapt to a lot of crazy things. Like with the the you just don't breathe. You know what I'm saying. Like fixing your regulator and everything else. Like the body can adapt to a lot of really crazy shit. Yeah, and it's interesting. So like I I got to talk to some um, damn neck instructors, some dev group instructors, and um, uh, that's you know seal team six and they were saying that they can spot like they have the heart rate monitors they can spot the guys that are going to make it there clear as day just by based on how they enter a room because yeah. right before they go into a room they'll have them do like a hit workout get really amped up and then immediately once it's time to enter the door heart rate drops uh, breathing slows down significantly blood pressure drops and you can see it all on the monitor they're like that guy's going to make it that guy's going to make it that guy's not going to make it that guy's going to make it and sure enough the guy who they pointed out isn't going to make it through a shot, right? And it's it's really tough to get through that program because you have to be on time, on target, every shot. Um, so it's it's really interesting just to think about how just the breath work that you do can control everything in your body, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was just uh, – I do jujitsu pretty regularly, and um, I was uh, 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 training – today before we came here some of the guys at our gym are training for the pan ams which is a really yeah, big jiu-jitsu yeah. competition um and we do like cage work so we're we're having a lot of fun in there and we're doing like shit like five six uh five minute rounds right yeah, it's a long time it's a long yeah, no, time yeah. with we're doing like a minute break in between each uh, each um round wow but every time you're like oh my god this is gonna be it in the middle, in that minute break, all I'm doing is just staying nice and calm, top, focusing. I'm really forcing myself 
to inhale as deep as possible and exhale everything out. Inhale as deep as possible and exhale everything out. And sure enough, my heart rate's going boom, 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 boom. The minute's over, I'm ready to get back after it. It's like a recharge. The only thing I did was control my breathing. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's really awesome. And then you throw and have an asthma and then like your body body doesn't exchange oxygen very well and you're like, uh, all this breathing stuff doesn't really work as well for me. (laughs) I got to piss. We're going to leave that one. That was a really good spot. (laughs) That was a good spot to take a break. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, we have, you know, going through this uh, treatment program that we're going to put together. The big thing is um, how do you kind of come and become aware of what's going on in your life after, right? Like uh, I went through a psychedelic experience and it was super intense and I'm just letting you guys know what I experienced was I met God and it was the most intense, warm love that I've ever had in my life. Like I love my kids. I love my wife. I now know how much I love my kids and I know how much I love my wife. It quantifies it because now I can say, oh man, I just want to throw as much love into them as possible that I received from from God in this, in this other place that I went. Uh, and it was... It felt like the entire ocean on this planet was crashing through me, but just with love. And I remember like I extended my arms out as wide as I could possibly go. And it felt like each arm was going to each end of the universe and I could reach out and feel everything. And, uh, you know, I was going through like a sensory overload experience at that moment. And I kind of rubbed my fingers across my thumb because I could feel everything. I just remember screaming. I couldn't regulate my voice. Screamed, I can feel everything, right? But at the top of my voice. And as I rubbed my fingers across my thumb, it felt like mountains were colliding where my fingerprints were. That's wild. It was so intense. I can't help but think like Will Ferrell. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't regulate my voice. (laughs) So yeah, it, it really was like that. Like I... I was just screaming because that's the only thing I knew how to do in this body. Because in this other place that I went to, there were beautiful fractal patterns everywhere that were the just the most incredible colors that I'd ever even... Those colors don't exist in this light spectrum. And it was unbelievable. And what was crazy was I was those fractal patterns and the colors. And as I realized that, that's when I started realizing that I was in heaven. Right. What, what I perceived as heaven. And again, as that knowing happened, I got this extremely warm, welcoming hug. Like, oh, man, I'm so glad that you're back here. There was no words, but it was all felt through emotions. And I just I started crying like decades worth of tears just started flowing out of this body and I couldn't stop it. It was just constantly coming through me. And I knew that I was in the presence of what I perceived as God. And it was unbelievable. Like this, ex- this same experience, atheists have gone into and come out not atheists anymore because they, they know that there is uh, something else out there. Going through this experience also, what I had come to realize was that, you know, in Christianity, we're taught that, you know, God is in all of us. God's in everything. That is 100% true. I know that to be true now. I I knew that to be true before. I now 100% know that to be true. 
He's in us all the time, and we are also in heaven right now. The only thing that, and again, these are all words that are kind of I'm using to describe a an, a, an experience that cannot be described with words so i'm just doing You're the best i can do your best to yeah. kind of translate yeah. the experience exactly yeah. yeah so uh when i was in that state i i felt that that god and I, I was like oh man this feels like home it felt so familiar and as i again i had that feeling it shifted to it's always in you it's always there the only thing that's distracting you from that is your ego, right? Like the the world that we live in, the job that you have to have to provide for your family, the everything that you have going on in your life, uh, all of these distractions are there to keep you from me. So just come back to me whenever you want. And now through my practice of meditation over the last few months, I've been able to get back into those those deep meditated spaces and reconnect with that inner enlightened being. Now, like I was talking about before, what do you do after, like the day after you become spiritually enlightened? And I didn't get spiritually enlightened. I'm not like an all-knowing, all like ominous uh, creature now. I just know things to be true to me. Maybe they're they're wrong. Maybe this was just... It's kind of like a radio. Yes. Like you have a... the If everything's intact, right? And And the radio frequencies are there, right? You have... Every station on the in the on that's on the radio and on AM mm-hmm. is all hitting us right now. Yeah, and if and it's there, but you you could maybe you don't acknowledge it's there. You're not aware it's there, but then you get you get the radio and you start turning the dial, and it's like you get some static. Maybe you start hearing some like a little bit of a station. You're like, is that a station? You mess around with it. Maybe you move the antenna around a little bit. Yeah, and all of a sudden it comes that's in clear. Yeah, some aluminum foil on your head, yeah. right? But then all of a sudden it comes in super clear. Yeah. And then it's like you turn the radio off or the radio gets unplugged or whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But like now you're, you know. You're tuned into that channel. Yeah, it's yeah. like you there was static, you're tuned in. But if you turn the radio off, you now know like, dude, it's still there. Like yeah. when you're, when you're wherever you are in the country, just because the radio is not on the car those signals are still there. You're just not tapping into them. Correct. And that's what it feels like. So when I get into these deep meditative states, I can re-enter that experience and it's just these rushes and waves of, of love. And it's very palpable. Like I can feel it everywhere and I just want to give it to everybody, right? I just want to share it with everybody and, and just give my love to everybody. Cause I, that is what, again, I know to be true now. We're here just to love, right? So um, my life experiences, uh, you know, coming from the SEAL community, I know that there's a lot of guys out there in the community that suffer through alcoholism, suffer through drug addiction, suffer through painkiller addiction, right? Uh, Addiction to work. So we're trying to solve this by developing this program to get them to find the best version of themselves so they can present that to the world, right? After transitioning out of the military, after whatever they've got going on in their life, they'll be able to um, uh, transition effectively and know what their next life's purpose is. Because for me, right, like I joined the military to go be a SEAL. That was my life's purpose. Unfortunately slash fortunately, I achieved that life's purpose at a young age. Now what? I did that at 21 years old. 
Now what do I do? Or 22 years old. Now what do I do? Like, did I peak at 22? No, dumbass. Like, you, there's so much more life to live until it's the end, right? And you never know when that end is going to happen. But in the meantime, find purpose every day. That purpose is just to share love with everybody. Find some connection. Find something to do. And do it with all of your heart and passion, right? So that's what I'm doing right now is trying to create this, um, help create this this system so that way people can really, find. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And I don't, maybe people are aware of this. And, and I don't know if everyone's really reached goals, like big goals that everyone told them they couldn't do. Yeah. You know, I remember when I got out of the teams like that bike ride I was telling you mm-hmm. about, right? So we did. Did you use that as like a therapy for yourself? Like, all right, I got it. It, it kind of turned into that. Rich is just a weird dude that just does odd shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Of, like, there's a lot of just you know weird shit that we do also. But sure. it was like it was one of those things we, we were getting out of the military. My buddy Sean, who uh, was a submariner, I went to high school with him. I grew up with him, and he's like, "Hey, man, like I never had that like crucible experience like you did. You know, I don't. I'm not really." Like, not that I'm not proud of myself, but I don't feel like I really challenged myself, like, as a man, like, how you had Hell Week and all that. Like, I don't feel like I ever had that experience. I'm like, yes, yeah, so what are you thinking? He's like, I, want, I don't know. I was, like, thinking about trying to ride a bicycle across country. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And we were sitting there. My buddy James was sitting next to us. We were at a bar. And I was like, James, I'm going to ride bikes across country with Sean. You coming? He needs to feel like a man again. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll go if we do it in the summer. Like, all right, cool. So Sean, we're doing, he's like, no, dude, I'm not kidding, man. Like, I really want to do this. I'm like, yeah, we're coming with you. We're going to buy a bike right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and then we figured everything out later, but I just remember I, we then got mission oriented again. Like I was kind of lost in that weird space too, because everything that I was like, I was planning on doing like 12 years Mm -hmm. in the seals, then making a decision if I wanted to stay in or get out. And then it got cut short at six. And I was like, holy shit, now what? And then we got on this mission and the mission was for Sean. But like how that happens is it's also becomes therapeutic for you when you're helping someone else out. And I'm like, I'm going to lead Sean across country. We're going to go do this. And everyone's telling me I shouldn't do this because my blood, we just had this blood clot surgery and I'm an asshole to do this, (laughs) but fuck it. And we're going, Sean needs me, you know? And then when we started and made it about the charity and about helping those families, we're like, Hey dude, if we're going to do this, like let's impact some people, let's make it worth a damn, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not just about us. Let's make it bigger than us. And then I just remember we got all the way across the country. And then as excited as I was right to finish the ride and complete the goal, right the saddest, most depressing day of the entire trip was the day we finished. Yeah. And I remember standing on the stage, like being presented an award and all this stuff in Virginia beach with, uh, Sean and James on the stage. And one of my seal team, uh, members who, who, uh, died in, um, in, uh, a helicopter crash, right. In operation red wings, mm-hmm. right. He, his wife and his little girl were on the stage like there with me and like it was like heartbreaking. I was like, dude, we did so much and I feel like we did nothing. Yeah. You know, and then it was like the the all the personal gain and I think a lot of people miss out on like all those great experiences were in the ride, not in standing on the stage. Right. It's and the now 
right? It's the, the journey, end. right? Like that was, and then we're on the stage and it was like, shit, I'm right back in the same position I was before we started. Yeah. What now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it was like, it and was like this anticlimactic, is that right? Anticlimactic, yeah, anticlimactic. like experience where it's like, I should be on the stage, like all like happy and proud. I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. You know? All the good times are in my past. No, that's not true. That's not true. The good times are yet to come, right? Yep. Enjoy every moment for what it is. There's, um, so in, in that same kind of mental space that I was at in, in that uh, psychedelic experience, it was a, a knowing that the only thing we have is the present. This moment right now, us talking together, you know, sharing this experience with the world through the podcast system right now, that is what is most important in my life right now, right? That's all I'm focused on in this moment, talking to you two guys. And it's incredible, right? I have complete clarity on what I'm talking about. I'm able to not be scatterbrained or not um, be distracted with my phone or my emails or my text messages. This is the only thing that I have going on right now. And it's beautiful. However, those distractions are still there after, right? So what we're going to try to do with this program is create a system where we're going to create a community and a system where the veterans can come through this, experience what they're going to experience, get healed, and still have that community after the community, right? Still have a way to connect, a way to hold each other accountable. Like I I did it with my nephew. I was trying to, um, like I said earlier, my nephew is going off to college and he is uh, in his freshman year. This summer, uh, towards the end of the summer, I was like, hey man, you know, I'm finding a whole lot of value out of this uh, meditation that I'm doing. It's it's feeling really good mentally. I have a whole lot of clarity. I have a whole lot of um, uh, ability to expand my thoughts and finish thoughts, which is like unheard of for me. Because normally, like I would be shotgun blast in every direction, and it never ended. Right. So now I can get to the end of a thought. So I was trying to take my nephew through this and say, "Hey, join me. We're going to be accountability buddies." Right. I'm going to meditate, you're going to meditate, and we're going to share what we were working on in that meditation session. So that's that community. I was trying to teach him that life skill, and it worked for a little bit, and then he went off to college, and now he's focused on you know, um, uh, college, which college that's stuff, what he's yeah. supposed to be focusing <laughs> on. But I hope he's still... College stuff. St- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's still taking the time out in his day to meditate, because <clears throat> five minutes a day can really change your life. I mean, I know it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but... Five minutes a day can really just set your day up for success. Um, and there's a lot that, of success coaches. And I'm not doing oh, yeah. this right now, and I probably should be because I know better. But mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of success coaches who say, "Hey, you wake up and you start your day off with gratitude. What, what you're thankful for, yeah. and what is it that you're going to achieve today? Or, yeah. or you know, uh, and it goes into the, like the power of self-talk." And as mm-hmm. cheesy as it sounds, like it's true. everything else is trying to program and manipulate our brains, like our cell phones, yeah. the TV, the media, all these people are constantly, you know, call it brainwashing, you know what I mean? And people are like, oh, they're brainwashing. But it's like, they're putting, let's not call it brainwashing. They're putting their viewpoint or their, their agenda, narrative. their narrative mm-hmm. into your mind and it's taking up your subconscious space. Yeah. How much time do you spend putting your subconscious like putting your thoughts your goals your priorities in your subconscious space Mm -hmm. versus allowing 
your brain to be the receiving end of everyone else's. Yeah. Right. Like you need to talk into your own. Um, you need to self-talk. Yeah. For Positive for, for what it is that you need. Right. Not just what everyone else is. So a lot of veterans, um, and maybe I'm just over exaggerating, but me, right? For 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 my situation. I used self-talk in a very negative, derogatory way, but I would use that as fuel to succeed, right? I would use that and be like, oh man, you're a little bitch. You really need to, you know, get a little harder and go go do something a little tougher. I would use that as fuel to go and do things and succeed, right? But I was limiting myself. I wasn't treating myself with love. And it's true, right? Like if yeah. you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. How can you uh, replicate that which you can't internalize? And it's, it's extremely difficult to do, especially for a population that has a whole lot of negative self-talk, right? In, just internally, in our own heads, we can really pick apart other people's lives and be like, oh, that guy's being a little bitch or that guy's a, you know, such a little punk, right? They're, they're complaining about things that I had to do uh, that I enjoyed doing. Um, you know, like the AC went out. Oh, whoopty fucking do, right? Come on, <laughs> yeah. Now. It could be a whole lot fucking worse. Yeah, that is what we tell shade. our. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually that is actually a form of psychological abuse for sure that you're doing to yourself, right? So, like, yeah. like, and I know it's going to sound cheesy coming from guys of our background, yeah. but when you when you have a kid, and and I learned this going through all the counseling, like all the was, kids that you've had. No, not with not with the kids that I've had. Obviously, I don't have any kids. But when I went through all the counseling from being in relationships with well, some people who are uh, borderline personalities, right? Mm -hmm. And like you don't realize you're being judgmental because everything to them is like they're constantly in self-defense mode. They're in survival mode all right. the time. So you don't even realize you're being judgmental in being judgmental. And if so, if a kid falls down and scrapes his knee and starts to cry because he scraped his knee... And you go, oh, suck it up. Yeah. Right? What you did was, or if someone's like, oh, man, like, I went on this run today. It was so hard. I ran like three miles. And they're like, dude, don't be a bitch. Yeah. I, I run like six miles in the morning. Don't let Rich fool you. That's exactly how he talks to me every time. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is like, when you do that, basically that person was saying, hey, my knee hurts. Mm -hmm. I just fell and hurt my knee. And the response of going, suck hold on, it up. Time out, time out. Hold on. <laughs> Wait, what hurts. does it say out there? Uh, what does it say out there on your obstacle course? Uh, and he so hurt his knee. Don't be a bitch. Don't be a bitch. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Anyway. Those are funny things, right? They're, they're so that's like a that's humor thing. That's, yeah. that's yeah. a humor yeah. thing. Yeah. But like, yeah. I'm talking on very like. I'm not saying I'm perfect for this. Yeah. No, this is a journey that I'm, everybody needs to But I'm to saying go this through. is what I'm now aware of. Yeah. Okay? When someone hurt, like let's say you fell and you hurt your knee and you say, suck it up. Don't be a little bitch to, your, to a kid. Right? Then what happens is their knee hurts and you steal, right? You steal and shame them for the fact that they feel pain. Yeah, yeah. Where the correct thing would be maybe something more along the lines of, oh, wow, that looks... Like it really hurts. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts really bad. I've hurt my knee before too. Yeah. What I can tell you is you're going to make it through this. So you don't tell them that their knee doesn't hurt because now they're, you're creating a confusion in their yeah. mind because they're like, my body's telling me this hurts. And you're saying, no, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt. You're just a bitch. 
mm-hmm. right? And now you're you're feeding that self doubt, where you go, hey, I acknowledge that that that's very painful, but what I'm here to tell you is, I believe you can work through that pain. I've I've been in that situation. You know what I mean? Now they can relate to it and they can exactly kind of connect and be like, oh, I'm not alone. That's really what we, what you're doing when you're saying, hey, don't be a bitch. You're going to be alone. Figure it the fuck out. Right. Yep. Instead, what you can do is say, I've been there too, man. It sucks. I know. But you got to get up. You got to keep riding that horse. You got to get back after it because it feels really good afterwards, right? To conquer those inner demons. Um, because that negative self-talk that you have in your head, guess who's going to get that next? Yep. Your son, your daughter, right? That's because that's what they see. They're like, oh man, dad's and that a dickhead. Negative I'm self-talk, be a dickhead. like you're saying, like you can fuel a lot through anger. Oh God, yeah. Right. F- you can but, fuel a whole lot of success. But it you burns f- bridges along the way. Oh, There's yeah, a catch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It and you can burn your own bridges to yep. yourself because um, it, it, kind of going back to that experience that I had uh, when I when I was in that state of uh, that heavenly state that I was in. Um, I didn't know I didn't love myself. And in the room, there were four people with me, uh, you know, two people helping me guide through the, the, the situation I was going through. And then two people there, just in case I got up and ran, they would stop me and, you know, throw me down. <laughs> Straight and, jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make me okay. Um, but I looked at them and like I said, I had an incredible experience. I looked at them and I said, again, I didn't say I screamed. Uh, at first, I, I looked at all four of them like dead in their eyes, and I screamed, "You're beautiful! You're beautiful! You're beautiful! You're beautiful!" So and me, then, like me coming out of anesthesia. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah, everybody. I love it. Yeah. And then immediately after I said, "You're beautiful," I looked back at that first person I said, "You're beautiful" to, and I felt the love radiating from them into me. And I just screamed. I mean, she's sitting like a foot away from me. I just screamed dead in her face. I love you. And I looked at the lady to my left. I love you. And I looked at the two guys behind me. I said, I love you and I love you. And then I put my hand on my chest. Again, I don't know why. I put my hand on my chest. And I just said, I love me. And dude, like rivers of tears are just falling from my from my face. Because I didn't realize I didn't love myself. Because mm. uh, it's easy not to love yourself when you're so self-critical when you're so uh, derogatory to yourself because you use those things as fuel to succeed. When in fact, you're really limiting yourself. Let's change that narrative. Let's change that inner monologue uh, in yourself and say, hey, instead of you're a little bitch, say, yeah, this is tough. You're going to be okay. Just keep going. The reward is worth it, right? Everything's going to be okay. Just those words. And and again, it, it shifts your perspective from like uh, I would, I would think prior to this experience, I would think, oh, I have to go to work. I have to do these things. Now I say to myself, I get to go to work, right? I get to help people. I get to do whatever I want to do, right? It's just a, a one word that's changed from yep. have to to get to. The attitude and the perspective mm-hmm. in in the task or in the phrase. Yeah. So now, like the days that I have that are good, which I wish every day was good, but that's just not what life is. Uh, <laughs> oh, the days on. that are good are all very repetitive. Um, I wake up and I do what I know I'm supposed to do. I do the work. I wake up, meditate, get calm, get centered, get grateful. And then I go outside. I get that sunlight on me as the sun comes up. And I just sit there and watch that sun rise. And it feels incredible. And then I journal for about 10 to 15 minutes. 
at first it was very awkward for me to journal. I would have to just like kind of, uh, I, I went through these drills where I would just write down words of whatever, whatever was in my head and it didn't make sense the first two sentences. And then all of a sudden it would just be a stream of consciousness where I would just write. And it's, it's very therapeutic to get those thoughts that are in your head out of your head and down on paper. Cause now you can become more clear, right? Then I finish that up and then I go work out in the morning, come back. Uh, by that time, it's time to get the kids up for school and, you know, get the kids ready for school, have breakfast. I get to take them to school in the morning. And then after that, come back, get after it, get to work. Um, I take two breaks throughout my day now. The first break is uh, for jujitsu. I have like a jujitsu class I go to in the, in the mid-morning. Second break I take is another meditation break towards the end of my workday, right? When I'm starting to shut it down, I got to be present for my family, right? I'm no longer present for work. I have to shift to be present for my family. So I just de-stress, calm down, throw my headphones on, listen to my music, and uh, meditate. Let all the work stress go away. So that way when I'm done, throw those headphones off, I'm ready to get after it with my family and be present for them. Because that's the only thing that I have to be there for in that Very moment. Very cool. Now, yeah. do you find... So the 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 timeline that you're explaining right now, mm-hmm. that's coming from Riv. He's already been a Navy SEAL. He's now t- changing into business and family man, yeah. right? Do you feel that you have the same, are able to tap into the same intensity when you're training and working out and all that kind of stuff? So if someone's listening to this and they're like, maybe they're in their, their mid to early 20s and they're like, what you've done is what I'm trying to work towards. Do you feel like that they can have that same intensity and fire because you didn't, you didn't make it to where you are now, right? This is one of the questions that I get. Like you didn't, you didn't make it to where you are now living the way you're living. Now you had a different lifestyle that basically, you know, contradicts my current lifestyle. Yeah. But it got you to where you wanted to go for that specific job how how do you feel this um you get where i'm going like yeah so the transition right like uh and and i think it's really important to to talk about this right i wish i had this clarity back then i would have been much happier going through life i would have been much more uh, uh emotionally and spiritually rewarded on the most simple things of just welcoming a day right Instead of just thinking about it and be like, oh, I got to get the fuck after it today. Because I did, right? You wake up and you're like, yeah. ooh, I'm going to fuck this day go. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead, now I wake up, I'm like, all right, man, what do I get to do today? Had I took taken that, um, the mentality I have now, you know, a decade earlier, two decades earlier, shit, man, I'd be awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, you're going from, I'm waking up, I'm going to fuck this day up to you like, Dude, I'm gonna have so much fun fucking this day up. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. first you have to go to sleep and then wake up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just don't do that. I cut that part out, so I'm good. Yeah, yeah. no I don't sleep. Have to worry about it. You're like on a Ala- you're on the Alaska timeline. Yeah, no oh, sleep till man. Brooklyn. I have no clue where Brooklyn is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really important. Like the, it's it's setting the intentions for the day, right? Instead of just and and this is kind of going back to that workaholic mindset that I was and and still battle with regularly is I would flow from goal to goal and not take the time to uh, accept or acknowledge the win. So when you get to this massive goal and you're like, 
fuck yeah, I just climbed that mountain, or fuck yeah, I just did whatever I was planning to do. Just bought a fucking Tesla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, and I would just think about it and be like, all right, cool, what's next? Right? All right, what's next? What's next? What's next? Now I sit there and think about it, and I'm like, man, you know what would really be good for me is if I took the time and recognized all the hard work that it took to get to where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's really important. I can't, I can't yeah. tell you how many times... Just for an example, like climbing a mountain mm-hmm. and you get to the top and then it's like you put in maybe a day, two, three days worth of work getting to the top of the mountain yeah. and then you're up there and you're like, oh, dude, we're here. Sweet view. High five. And you're just standing there you're like, oh, now what? <laughs> okay. It's like awkward. It's like awkward. Yeah. I guess we'll just climb down now. Yeah. I, I, What's okay. the next mountain? You know what I mean? Instead of like sitting there and being like, man, let's revisit all the things that we had to do to get here. Yeah. And you know what? There's still another challenge because climbing down is sometimes harder than climbing up. For sure. In many times, you know. Well, there's that dude that climbed, uh, that did the solo climb. Free you know, solo. No, free solo. Yeah. yeah. What was his name? Yeah. Called, uh, what, uh, not called, Alex. But yeah. But anyway, something. so he did a half dome. It was half dome, wasn't it? Or was yeah. it? Yeah. And he talks about, he did a TED talk and he talks about like, he climbed up. And by the time he got to the top, all the hikers had hiked up the trail and they were at the top. So he comes up over the ridge <laughs> And then he's, and then he's like, then I realized, oh, I still got to hike back down. He's like, yeah. but, but he goes, when I got up there, there's all these hikers that are like taking pictures and everything. He's like, they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Some crazy dude that just kind of like went over the edge and then came back over. They have no clue. I just climbed the whole thing. Right. He's oh, like, so well, they're that's all, funny. Yeah. So he's like, they're all staring at me like, who's this crazy guy? And he's just like, huh? All right. And then walked back down. Like, you know, like he yeah. didn't get, he didn't have that. He's like, he talks about how like, he's like, I thought it would be, I'd get up there and it'd be he thought it this be whole moment and have this, you know, yeah. but he didn't because of, like something, his mentality, like, yeah, right? like, well, because he us. had a vision on how that was going to, that was going to look. And when he yeah. got up there, it was totally different. And so like, he kind of got lost in it and then hiked back down. Yeah. But yeah, I just but it's, the- it's like you were saying earlier with your bike rider right across America, it's the journey, right? It's not the end at the end, instead of being sad, just review and be like, man, all those good memories I have now are a result of the work that I put in, all the miles that I put in, all the preparation, all the stories I have now, right? Now I can write that stuff down. Listen, I, like, I am not a gifted writer by any means, but I do write diligently now, right? Like, I, I have to, first off, I have to therapeutically get those thoughts out of my head. And second, I really just have to write that stuff down so that way I can read it a few years later and say, oh man, look at where I was at mentally on, you know, uh, September 10th, 2020, right? Shitty, shitty times, but I was happy. Now I can review that and, and really use that as a tool to measure my life against, right? Like, am I progressing as I thought I would? Goal setting, right? Did I meet my goals? What was, what was my mental state at that day? Um, you know, you don't have to do it daily. If you do do it daily, that'd be awesome. Uh, and, and a lot of people, what I've seen is um, they say that they, you know, write notes in their phones. Get the fuck away from your phone. Get away from it. Yeah, you write spend down. way too much time there already. Yeah, man. Get a pen, get a get a notepad, and just write it down. There, that is a very therapeutic thing, right? The actual process of writing. It's really, really good for your brain. It's good for your body, and it's good for your heart. And I know all this sounds like super hippie. Like super hippie bullshit. No, there's a lot to it. Like, um, like we were talking about earlier, there's, there's tons of people that'll tell you that like, there's no brain to, to thought or however, or whatever you want to look at it connection when you put stuff in your phone, Mm -hmm. 
like the actual process of writing it down, you're visually seeing it, you're right handwriting it. It's a whole body connection yeah. allowing you to memorize things. And so like I have really crappy um, short term memory, uh, short term memory loss. So like um, it takes me prolonged periods of time to like start retaining things. So like I found that I've got literally like seven notebooks in my in my truck because I have to write all kinds of stuff down. Yeah. And, uh, but I found out that works way better. I keep notes in my phone, but I can never remember without going back into my phone to look. But the things that I write down, I can almost always pull up from memory. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's, it, so my, uh, I have a cousin, he got hit by a, a car when he was 18, I believe. And now he's in his like forties. But when he got hit by the car, didn't break a single bone. His head mm. hit the, um, it starred the, the windshield. And the car was going, I think, like 35, 40 miles an hour. And he was a really athletic guy. He was a baseball player. Um, and it was it was a really uh, hard hit that he took to the head. Again, no bones broken, no bones broken, but some bruises. His head, um, He have you guys seen that movie, 50 First Dates? Yeah. yeah. He has that. Oh, he's in his 40s, horrible. and every day he wakes up like he's an 18-year-old wow. getting ready to go to graduation next week. Then what he has to realize is he's married. He's got two beautiful, no, three beautiful daughters. Wow. And life is awesome. You know how he remembers that? He looks at his notebook that he wrote down. Because wow. if he watches a video or if somebody tells him that, yeah. it's not, it's it's not, not personal. Not, yeah, it's not personal. Yeah. But if he reads his own handwriting, those are the, me- like, it, it's not memories get triggered, but he accepts it faster. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's man. interesting. Wow. Yeah, and it's the process of writing stuff down, uh, writing goals down, right? Like, how do you write a goal down? Time sensitive. When can it get done? How big is it? How long is it going to take me? Is it measurable? How are you going to hold yourself accountable? Right. All of these life goal, life skills that kind of maybe you had in your earlier ambitious years that maybe as you get older you're like, oh, everything's all right now. All right, I have a a normal nine to five job. I don't have any big goals. Everybody should have goals, right? If you don't have goals, you're kind of wandering through life aimlessly. Get a big goal, right? Whether that's three, five years from now uh, or, you know, six months from now. Learn the the difference between a short-term and a long-term goal. Your short-term goals should lead into your long-term goals, right? Everything builds on itself. Set up accountability systems so that you can hold yourself accountable and the people who are around you who know you the best can hold you accountable, right? Are you trying to lose weight? Don't eat as much food. Be a little more active. Get good sleep. Drink water. It's that simple, right? Now, what gets in the way? Life and all the distractions that are associated with life. And maybe you're holding that in on yourself. Like, I don't want to tell anybody. I want. To, I don't want to tell anybody I'm going to lose weight because I don't want anybody to hold me accountable. Most of all, myself. Yep. So it's it's really important to share that so that way when you go out to eat. And you're getting a big old fat juicy cheeseburger uh, and you told all your friends you're going to lose like five pounds within this year. They're like, hey, didn't you have a cheeseburger like two days ago also? What happened with that? Um... There's a little fat cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's good because then you, you have that um, accountability system where it's like they're not doing it to be a dick. They're doing it to make sure you live up to that promise you made to yourself. Depends who your friends are. They could be doing it to be a dick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, man. Uh, So it's in in that sense of community too, right? Like how are you connecting every day with somebody new? How are you expanding your network? What what are the different things that you're doing to stretch yourself, 
right? Not stretch yourself thin, but just stretch yourself in a reasonable way. So I think one of the things that's important, right, in what you're saying with the holding each other accountable, setting the goals and all that stuff, I think this is really where it becomes the difference of false motivation and being fake and just, you know, being full of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, dude, you're doing so good. Like, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and all that stuff where it's like, hey dude, we're we can be we can be honest with one another and hold each other accountable and be like, hey dude, I know it's hard. I know uh there's a lot of work to be done, but we're dropping the ball right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is the goal we set out and you put the you put the goal back in front. You know what I mean? Here's here's the goal. Here's what you were working toward. And this is where we're You tr- got distracted. Yeah. Now it's time to get So it's again. it's not like a personal attack. It's you asked me to help keep you accountable and I'm trying to help you do that because I care about you. Yeah. And I know this is important to you and I know you can do it, right? So let's get back focused. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's nothing that hurts worse than when that happens because you personally, you're like, man, fuck, they're holding me accountable. I don't want to do this, right? I was I was actively going in the opposite direction, but they came at me with love and now I have to accept it. Whereas if you just come at it and say, hey, fatty, why are you getting that cheeseburger? Right. Yeah. Even if you say it like in a funny way, they're still going to take it really personally because you are challenging their accountability structure. Right. Like, hey, we're in this together. Right. Like you said, I I want you to be healthy. I want you to be happy. I want you to feel good in your skin. Right. Um, Can't do that with eating that cheeseburger. And that's where it goes into picking the right uh, accountability partners. And sometimes you have someone who wants to do the goal with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got, if you have someone who will do it with you, like a workout partner, so it could be accountability, but you guys can be mutually accountable to each other, but make sure you pick that person wisely. Cause I know going through the seal training, they would say they had this one giant log. It was called old misery. And it said oh, yeah. on there, misery loves company. Mm-hmm. And when you got in trouble, you had, everyone had to lift this big log. Right. But I remember the instructors saying, uh, a bad attitude is like cancer. And if you're hanging out with people with a shitty attitude, just be aware that look around. How many times do you see people quitting by themselves? Most of the time when one person quits, like four or five people quit. Yeah. And it's usually because you get around negative people and they start going, hey, man, you know, uh, this is fucking stupid. Like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. These guys are assholes. I wouldn't want to be a part of this community anyway because these people are, you know, idiots and they're like, yeah, they are idiots. And the reality is they want to quit and now they're going to look for excuses to quit. But they find other people with the same uh, mentality or attitude toward the situation as they have. So that way, like how you see, you know, on social media, stuff like that, they call it an echo chamber, mm-hmm. right? You have these people who have the similar mentalities and they just build on each other. So in this case, if you don't have someone who, who really is going to be accountable and really wants to make a change. Don't pick them as your accountability partner because they will fail with you because oh, yeah. you guys will come up with excuses and reasons on why not to do something. And if you guys both don't do it that day versus keeping each other accountable, you guys now look to each other and basically um, find 
the I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for here. Just be like, hey, let's take a break today. We'll do double tomorrow. Yeah, you guys basically <laughs> use the fact that both of you are feeling the same way as the excuse to yeah. not do it versus keeping each other accountable. You're letting each, you're letting each other off the hook. Yeah. Right? You're looking for that opportunity to get off the hook. Exactly. Right? And then and, the person's and, basically giving you the right away to do it and you're like, oh, well, you know, it's not a big deal today. You know, the first person to go, oh, this is bullshit. And then yeah. all hell breaks loose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just pick those people wisely. Pick them super wisely. So like going through buds for me, like I, I, I saw so many people quit. And oftentimes I would look and be like, damn, that dude quit. He was way bigger, way stronger than I am. Oh, shit, man. What's going on here? Where Where is this coming from? Like you start putting, and, and it was always, it, the funniest thing was, it was oftentimes the guys that were the most verbose, right? Like, yeah. oh, hey, let's have fun with this. And they were like the, the clowns of the class when obviously there wasn't like real shit going on. On the weekends, they were really like animated people. Um, and then when it came time to get hard, they they couldn't like porn stars. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, uh, it was funny. Cause like there was this one guy, it was his third time in, in buds. He was, he was trying his third attempt. He went to the fleet, came back, went to the fleet, came back. And this is his third time. And, um, he was just like very, not arrogant. He was very confident, right? He was very confident that this was going to be his time. Um, and, like I looked at him, I was like, man, that's cool. He knows that he's going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> I remember like I, my mom would, uh, I would call my mom. I'm a mama's boy. I would call my mom about every week going through training. And, uh, instead of greeting me with like a normal motherly, hello, I love you. She'd be like, did you quit yet? I'm like, Jesus, mom, what are you doing, yeah. dude? No, I didn't quit. I'm definitely yeah. not going to quit now. I, mean, I didn't go through a buzz or anything, but in basic training, my mom was doing the same thing. I'd call her. She's like, uh, do I need to go ahead and get you a ticket home? I'm like, no, no, I'm still here. It's cool. I'm still, I'm still making it. But she did that because she loved me and she didn't yeah. want me to do a dangerous job. Like, you know, she didn't know that she was fueling my, my desire to not want to quit because I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't. I, I started thinking... As the time went on, like I couldn't call my mom and be like, "Hey, you were right. This wasn't for me, right?" I really, I risked it all, right? Like I, I was gonna go. I, I wanted to, not wanted to. Opportunities presented themselves for me to be a chiropractor and go down that path, and I had scholarships to go do that after uh, college. But I was like, man, I, I remember thinking back at that time, like, do I want to in my forties look back on my past? And say, I could have done something. Or just tried it. And if I failed, I failed. No big deal. At least I was brave enough to try it. At least I was brave enough to give it a shot. So let me ask you this. Did when you were when you made the decision that you were gonna you were gonna go into the SEALs, like did you talk about accountability? Did were you telling people were like, hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go try out to be a Navy SEAL, I'm gonna become a Navy SEAL, but or were you worried about like not not wanting people to hold you accountable? So you're like I'm not gonna tell anybody, but I'm gonna go do it. But I'm not gonna tell anybody. Uh, like. I told, yeah, personally, I told everybody <laughs> yeah. I knew um, be- for that purpose, uh, right? Okay, yeah. I so, needed yeah. to hold myself accountable, exactly. Right. So, like, I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm joining the Navy. I'm, I want to go be a SEAL. That's it." Um, off, like, I the only person that I still talk to. Actually, no, I have like five still friends from high school that I've maintained throughout all of that time, and they all were like, "Yeah, it was an eventuality." Right, you, you were hungry. You wanted to do it. You put your mind to it, and that was it. Um, but I told them all the same thing. I was like, "Hey, I'm going off to do this. 
hopefully it'll work out. You know, if not, I'll do something else. But um, it was it, it was for that purpose of holding myself accountable. Because I would hate to like you know share this uh, this news with them. Like, hey, I want to go be a Navy SEAL, and then come back two yeah, months later. Exactly. Like, exactly. Didn't work out. Well, hey, I guess uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Rich? Oh, we already know what happened to Rich. Rich yeah. was trying to cross a bridge one day. He got yeah. stopped by a cop, and the cop <laughs> gave him a hard time, and they deloused him. Oh, wait, that was Rambo. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. John Jay. Yeah. No, is it, it, I wasn't really announcing it so much to everybody. Kind of more got announced. And the reason, the reason, one of the reasons why it got announced was if, if you knew the, the story, I'm not going to go into it because it's just too long. It's, it's a whole, not another podcast. It's a whole nother, <laughs> it's one of the podcasts, the whole thing with the, with the football team. Yeah. So there was a huge clash between me and the football team. And one of the guys who was on the football team got accepted to Annapolis oh, nice. and got picked up for a seal contract going through the thing. And he was kind of like, you know, a recognized star athlete. And I'm this like skinny punk rock, hardcore kid (laughs) who has gotten in a bunch of fights and stuff like that. And is a kind of the troublemaker. And, uh, they're like, Oh, he's going and he's going to go through Annapolis and blah, blah, blah. And and then there's there's rich Graham. And then there's like, (laughs) rich thinks he's going to be a seal. (laughs) And then it was like, this dude looks the part. He should do it. And then the attitude or the thought process in the school was more of if there's anyone who's crazy enough to do it, it's grandma. It's, it's rich, <laughs> you know, but we'll see. He's kind of small, Yeah, you know? We'll and then what happened is that that dude, nothing against him. He's, he's uh, I have no problem with this guy. He's a great dude. He did. He, he dropped out of Annapolis in the first summer, like in the plebe stage. Oh. And, uh, he actually went to college and he actually went back into the military. I think he went into the army and came in as an officer or whatever, but he, he got out, went through college. Those and all military stuff. schools are no joke, man. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're definitely yeah. tough. You know what I mean? So I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm just saying from that standpoint, it kind of got in school. Everyone else was talking all this shit and yeah. I was in the middle of the drama because it was like one of the football players was going to Annapolis and I was kind of like fucking knucklehead over here, you know? (laughs) So like the groups were kind of like pitting the conversation back and forth. Um, And then, you know, it just worked out the way it worked out. You know, he didn't have everyone start all the fights, you know, and initiate all that shit. But like, so with that, it was kind of one of those things where you were saying, you know, Pretty much everyone in my buds class or everyone in the pipeline was bigger than me who quit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like all the people who were supposed to make it, I kept watching them like leave and was like, well, fuck man, if that's what a seal's supposed to look like, he just left. Yeah. <laughs> my skinny ass is still here. So I don't know. We'll just keep running with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you but see all the instructors too. All the instructors are big and jacked. You're like, Jesus, dude. I don't look anything like them, but you also see them. It's like 10 years after going yeah, through Buds, yeah. 20 yeah. years after going through yeah. Buds. You see the photos of them going through Buds and they're, yeah, they're, like, they're looking yeah. just like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Like when I, like, especially like your photos that you got around here of like the, the Buds class and stuff, like everybody looks the same because every, you know, because you all go through just getting beat down and it's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it's the same body yeah. type. Yeah, yeah. Everybody looks exactly the same. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to even tell 
oh well that there's definitely so and so or whatever because everybody I was wants a, to say. I was supposed to go to the team and get jacked. It just yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. <laughs> You're still on that bulking plan. Yeah. You're gonna get there. Yeah. He's on a forty year bulking plan. I let everyone down. I was supposed to be huge and covered in tattoos. Oops. Oops. Get big oh, jacked no. again. I, I got halfway with the tattoos. When did you yeah. sign up for CAG? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's where all the big guys go. Yeah. yeah man. Oh, <laughs> like dude. they're processing through. They're like, okay, seal, seal. Oh, you're recon. Yeah. Oh, you're your CAG. <laughs> like, all right, if you want to be in CAG, you got to spend three years in Hell- Hell's Angels. Yeah. And then you can come back. You got to be at least 220. Yeah. <laughs> those are some big dudes. Those are big dudes, man. God, man. Like, like big old country CAG, boys. Every CAG guy I've ever met was just a jack dude. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. They're Good all like, what, what's his name? Um, on, on Instagram? Oh, Pat McNamara. They all look like Pat. Dude, Pat is so funny, man. I love Pat. If like if Pat ever needs to get like a secondary job, it should totally be in like the WWE. Like yeah. it'd be perfect. You know? Like I watched his videos of how he talks and all that stuff. I'm like, this I just wanted got, to do this. Gotta be like his, slim gym commercial. This has gotta be like his show like persona. Yeah. And then I, I met know. him a couple of times in person, you're hanging out with him, you're like, well, this is just how no, he that's is. Just this how is he just is. who he is, you know? This is awesome. <laughs> No, he's, he's like this all the time. Psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. Well, we should probably wrap up. That was uh, definitely great having you on and hearing yeah. about all this stuff. And Thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me share yeah, the story. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I really yeah, did. we'll definitely have you back on. For sure. We'll, we'll talk more. I just... Yeah. What do you think, Brandon? Socials. Contacts. What's that? Contacts. Yeah, all his... Uh, okay. Yeah. I got eye surgery. I don't wear contacts anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Okay. Uh, just get his infos. Yeah, so um, so you want me to just talk about it real quick? Do it. Yeah, so if you guys uh, want to follow me on Instagram, it's wetsuits to business suits. Um, kind of in that transition vein, when I started the Instagram page, I put a, it was as I was transitioning out of the military, so wetsuits, right? <laughs> I was coming from, from the SEAL teams into business suits. I was wearing suits all the time. And I was fucking miserable, but, uh, but it's good, right? It's all about transition. So wetsuits to business suits. Um, I'm a follower of uh, full spectrum warriors. So you can find me on there. Um, if you search the jungle MMA in Orlando, uh, you'll find me there also. Um, you can call, text me at, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like long walks on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. I just have Instagram uh, uh, for the pictures and jujitsu pretty much. And here's yeah. a freebie Very for cool. you. And then if, uh, if later on when you get your, your nonprofit going and, oh, yeah. and that whole thing going, uh, does that have a website yet or no? Not, Not yet. yet. Nope. Okay. It's brand new. So we're, so we're when you get that set up, let us know and we'll update the episode and we'll put a link to it sure, down on the bottom. Yeah. Though I, I have the name for the, uh, the foundation. It's called got your six. Okay. Got great. Your six foundation. Yeah. All right. Remember that. Got your six. You are. Got your six. Perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Write it down so you lock it in. Yeah. <laughs> James, anything to add? No, I'm good. All right. So in addition to that, if you guys want, check out Homefront Canine Project, our nonprofit as well, if you want to help support us with our service dogs. And um, and then definitely check out fullspectrumwarriors.com. we got a lot of really cool training events coming up this fall. And uh, winter into 2021. And uh, stay tuned. We got a lot of really cool stuff coming up between. uh, We're going to be on the front page of a magazine, a tactical magazine. Yeah, coming up. We got a five page spread. Kakaguchi? 
I'm gonna, you're gonna have to wait and see what the ep- what the magazine is. But then coming out, we're gonna be featured in Clint Emerson's uh, next hundred deadly skills book, oh, which man. is getting ready to come out in the end of November. And then uh, obviously coming into Shot Show, we got some really cool stuff. We have we have to wait to announce that, but a lot of really cool things are gonna be happening at Shot Show this year. And then rolling into the Arnold Expo in March. Uh, myself and Greg Mahovich will be out there um, representing Full Spectrum Warrior and uh, the combat mobility system and all that kind of stuff. So we're excited to be out there, a part of that. So a lot of really cool things coming up this winter. And um, yeah, man, check the links and uh, everything below and check out Riv. Go give him a follow and stay tuned for when his nonprofit launches. <laughs>